Hey, this is Joe Benitez. Thank you for listening to Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. People talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have the master disaster, Josh45. Oh, hi. And CBS. Oh, hi. The dynamic duo in the house? Just us. There you go. It's old school. It's what happens sometimes. As he's today, we're doing episode number 194. And the book's going to be on over. It will be uh, Junkyard Joe from Image Comics. This is the uh, Mag Ghost imprint from uh, Jeff Johns. We'll be doing issue number one of Junkyard Joe. Uh, then follow that up with uh, Sacrament number one from AWA Comics. And we'll close it up with uh, Dark Ride number one from uh, Image Comics. And then we have a uh, interview with Joe Benitez from the Denver Fan Expo, uh, 2022. So I'll run that for you after all the books. Awesome dude. He's the uh, fellow that brings us Lady Mechanico. A fantastic guy. Great artist. Uh, so yeah, it'll be real cool for you guys to hear that. Before any of that, uh, we got any news? I have a little bit of news. You have some news? A little bit of news. All right, what's in the news? What's in the news? So news what I start out with, like, so what I got. So DC Comics is going to be pulling Superboy, sorry, Superman, Superman Seneca Lel. Uh, it's being canceled, uh, cited by poor sales, uh, but the series has been good. And, like, we reviewed issue one on here, and it it didn't, I don't feel like it wavered that way, but it's one of those hype train kind of things. Uh, so we're going to be canceling the, the series. Issue 18 is going to end it uh, in December. But we're going to see a mini-series that picks up in January. It's a six-part, so we're going to move forward. Uh, still with Tom Taylor. Um, so we're going to get a, a book called The Adventures of Superman, John Kent. So the series is ending as a... I guess as a numerology? Is that how you say that? As a series. But we're following it up with a mini-series afterwards, so... It's not like the character's going away, but after that, I guess we'll have to see what happens. Well, they can't, they've canceled tons of books over the years. It doesn't mean the character goes away. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. But as far as follow-up series, it's, it's still going to be the same guy writing it, so Tom Taylor. So as far as things, I mean, I feel like that book's been pretty good. It, but yeah, when it comes to sales or whatever, that's sales are king, so whatever. Right. Anyhow, so yeah, that's, that's all I really got for that. The miniseries is going to start in January, so two things won't really skip that much of a time, provided they actually hit the release date. I mean, at the worst, they will be a month different, but as a thing, 18's into the series, then the sixth part afterwards. So there's that. Um, Netflix, bec- I mean, I'm assuming because of the outcry of them raising their prices a million times, but they are doing a... They're doing a, a new lower-tiered ad-supported plan that was launching very soon, which, whatever. I mean, I think Hulu has one of those as well. Um, like, Tubi's that way. I, I don't know how people respond if it's something where they drop ads in the middle. What's that way? Tubi. What's that? Uh, it's another streaming service that offers movies and things. It's just another one of them. There's a ton of them, man. Huh. But it, it has free movies inside of it, but... They don't have, as far as list of movies, it kind of ranges in old, and they have a lot of really old stuff on there. But yeah, it's, uh, it's one that plays commercials every increment of time or whatever 
drops commercial or two commercials, then it goes back. So, I mean, I guess we'll see how people respond. It's probably just another way for them to make money. They spend millions of millions and millions of dollars on right original content now. Like I've wondered for years how like how they're able to do it. Oh yeah, I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast a little bit and on other podcasts a ton that like how exactly they make money is crazy. Like the numbers, it's weird. I mean, the only way they can make money technically is with new subscribers. And so, right. I mean, in ads internally, like, a, a, like advertisements in actual movies, so like product placement, but I mean, in their own that's movies. not a ton. Yeah. Yeah. In their original content, but yeah, I don't know if it's a movie or a commercial that runs before the movie or whatever. Okay. I mean, I guess it depends on how much free time you have and if you can stand it to save it three bucks or whatever. Whatever. It'll probably be intermittently, I'd assume. Just like yeah, YouTube probably. and all that stuff, which yeah. is annoying. I assume that's what it'd be. That's the same thing that I was saying the other company does. I guess we'll see how it goes. I mean, if you don't like it, you pay for the bigger subscription, right? Um, so another, it's another piece that is kind of a negative thing. So, uh, Scout Comics is having some problems again, not necessarily with their books. Um, but so the series Midnight Western Theater, their sequel series is at this point canceled uh, for the comic book. So the uh, the co-creator of it, uh, Luis uh, Southland, or, uh, Southard, he and uh, Scout are not getting along, um, even though Midnight, Midnight Western Theater is in, pro- in the process of being shopped and produced into a, a series. Something to do with the release of the heart of the trade paperback it caused a conflict, and so he's decided to step away from the project and leave the company, which is what sidelined the sequel to the miniseries. And as far as the uh, movie or whatever, I guess that's still in the process of working, and the scout still says that they're put moving forward with that regardless. Um, but like as a thing, this isn't the first time we've heard weird stuff about scout, and when it comes to Hollywood, I mean, David Pepos, who has been on the show and now currently is working over DC, did the uh, Spencer and Locke, and they were in the process of promoting it to be a movie. And because of something to do with creative rights and people wanting their names on things that shouldn't have had them on things, it put all that in the dirt and like the company completely backed out. So like Hollywood decided things, scouts having problems, but when it comes to books, I mean, they put out some good books. So I don't know. It's too bad. Cause like as, as weird as that, like goth cowboy thing was, which is what midnight theater was. It was pretty cool. So I don't know. I guess we'll see it at some point. Uh, the rights will return to him, and then I—they're saying that at that point he might move forward with another sequel. But at this point, he's—he has left it. So if that was a series that you were following or, or like. Then uh, then I don't hold your breath for the sequel. Uh, they are still going to be putting out the graphic novel uh, when we get to—I think—to January or March is when it's going to come out. So, as a thing, I mean, it's still worth a read. But yeah, it's just weird company stuff, which is too bad. In other news, Harrison Ford is reportedly joining the MCU, and the big um, rumor mill has him becoming Thunderbolt Ross. I'd be right with that. I mean, Heard was great, but now with him being gone, I you know I don't know. I'd almost want to go back to Sam Elliott, but I, I mean I do like I do like Harrison. So I mean, as far as uh, actors are concerned, I guess you don't go back to. You don't go back to the mustache because he was the character before and you replaced him with the new series, so keep him separate, I guess. Heck, man. 
Yeah, I mean, if that winds up being the case, cool. I don't know. Harrison's awesome, so... Being that we're moving to a Thunderbolt, we need to probably have a... We don't have to have a Thunderbolt Ross for that, but it'd make more sense if we did. We're following that up with a little more Hollywood stuff. So I'm on Best is uh, developing a one-man show. Uh, best we know about it right now is that uh, it's about his time as Jar Jar Binks in Star Wars and like how it affected his life and things like that. Um, he put out a tweet um, a couple days ago. And uh, in the tweet, it uh, it says, uh, I think it's time for my version of how it all went down. And then there's a picture with it of a uh, a page, a letter page or an intro page for a script. And it says, Untitled One Man Show, I'm a Best. And uh, then he has a bunch of hashtags with it. Not a bunch. There's like seven. And one of them is Darth Jar Jar. And of course, Jar Jar Binks in Star Wars. The last one is a Darth Jar Jar. And, like, I don't know if I've talked about this on this show or not. I probably have. I can't really remember. Because between the, the three different podcasts, if I haven't told the story about talking to him in Colorado Springs on this show, do you remember if I have or not, Josh? I don't remember. I have told that story. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. So I guess if you guys have heard this before, then, I mean, sorry, I guess. Story time? Uh, so Colorado Springs... The uh, Comic-Con, um, I don't know, like three or four months ago. Um, while I was there, I was there with Brian, uh, Brian Wade, who was up there as an artist, and our, our buddy Danny. And uh, so Ahmad's one of the guests there, right? And so as we're talking, we decided we're going to go over and talk to Ahmad for a second, right? And uh, me and Brian go over there, and Brian's getting a picture and autograph, and um, he's like, well, why don't you go first? And I'm like, all right. I'm like, all right, dude, I have some questions for you. And he's like, okay. I said, well, this Darth Jar Jar thing, man, like, what do you know about that? He goes, why do you think that's true? And I'm like, you want me to explain to you why I believe that the Darth Jar Jar thing is a real thing? And he's like, well, tell you what, you tell me what you know or what you think, and I will just tell you yes or no whether it's right or not. And I'm like, I can play this game. And so we start in, and I, you know, talk about a bunch of different stuff. I mentioned Palpatine being from the same planet, and he's like, yes. Anyway, he agreed with most of what I said as being real things, and I'm like, well, finally we get to the point of it. Man, this is like a super British stupid version of the story. There's a better version over on Men Look Bad in Spandex. I know there is. One of the other podcasts to listen to. Anyway, so I'm like, yeah. So first, Palpatine and Binks are from the same planet. He's like, well, yes, they are, yeah. I'm like, okay, second, like, he's at a lot of events that don't make sense for him to be at. Like, he makes, he's, like, the key deciding member of a bunch of things throughout the prequel movies that are above his pay grade. And I thought, I shouldn't have said that to him. Above his pay grade was not the right way to say that. But it was funny. He laughed, and he's like, well, I never thought about that way. What do you mean? I go, well, so we get to the third movie, Revenge of the Sith, and Jar Jar Binks is the guy who makes the deciding vote to make Palpatine the head chancellor. He's the guy who votes him in. Like, he's the deciding vote. And that doesn't make any sense. He goes from being the outcast from his village. It doesn't matter how good he did in the fight and whether the village decides to give him the thumbs up or not. Now he's the voting member, the main, like, the lead of the planet making the head vote. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, unless something else was going on, how did he go from outcast bumbling idiot to lead vote for the planet? Like, the entire planet. 
He's like, well, I never thought about it that way. He goes, but okay, that, he did make that vote. And I'm like, okay, cool. Anyway, we go on a little bit longer. I did not get into all the stuff where the, the Yoda and the Jar Jar Binks, how they line up, sort of similar. I could do another podcast just about that. I really should just do Comic-Con stories. Maybe I figure out a way to make that into a thing. Because I have a bunch of those that are stupid, but they're fun. Anyway, so again, this is like a really abridged version of this, because I don't know how long I talked to the guy. You'd have to ask Brian, because we were there for a minute. So finally I'm like, okay, and there's the scene whenever, in movie one, it's a Phantom Menace, where the Jedis are going into the village, we haven't even met Anakin yet, and Jar Jar Binks is, of course, tagging along, and then Padme comes down, and she's like, oh, I want to go into the city too, and the lead guard guy's like, yeah, no, that's a bad idea. And both the Jedi's are like, oh, she'll be okay. And Jar Jar Binks is like, oh, yeah, it'll be all right. And while he's standing behind the dude, moving his hands around, and I'm like, I don't remember that guy's name. And then I'm going to cut me off. He's like, and it's like, um, moving my hands to make him talk. And I said, yes. Like he's being puppeteered. Which is only part of what I was talking about, but yes. And he's like, well, I can tell you the hand motions were scripted. And I'm like, I don't know if that answers my question or not. And he's, he goes, I mean, you just have to make the decision for yourself, man. And I'm like, okay, okay. Then Brian has a conversation with him and the two of us left. And uh, Brian's like, dude, it sounds like you said yes to you. Because everything was yes. I'm like, yeah, but the scripting thing, I mean, I don't know exactly the wording on that. You know what I mean? Anyway, I want to go back and we're talking to him again a little bit later that day uh, when he was out walking around. And uh, we we know we went over that a little bit more. Dude's a great dude, actually. Like he's super nice. It was awesome. Like there's a point where he introduced me to one of the little girls that was helping do uh, volunteering. She like had come up and she interrupted us and she's like super adamant about making sure he doesn't miss a panel. And he's like, oh, she's been great all this whole week. He was just he was just so charismatic and great with her that like as a person, the dude's awesome. Anyhow, so as far as this thing, I'm super excited because even if it's just about like the trials and tribulations of the fallout of it, because he got so much hate over Jar Jar Binks. And, like, that's not necessarily his fault. Not really. And when it comes to, like, the use of the character, I mean, it's been reported in multiple, like, places online about how Jar Jar's part was cut down because of the dislike of the character. As to what that means, who knows. Maybe he does, and that's what this is about. That's awesome. And even if it's no revelation at all, it's just him explaining to all of us how the world treated him afterwards and how it affected his life in general. Great. I mean, I'll go see it and give me tickets. Awesome. Whatever it winds up being. Because I think that dude's awesome. And he was, he was really great to talk to and really nice to me. So, like, I'm super pumped for whatever this is. Even if it's just him going over how, like, during the low, lowest part of his deal with this, that he was, like, thinking about suicide because it was just so bad everywhere he went. Like, even if it's just about his life, so be it. I mean, I think that's awesome. Anyway, so that's cool. Uh, the tweet's up on his Twitter if you want to go look at it. Plus, he likes the last, the last three Black Panther trailers. He thinks they're great because that's also something on his, web, on his Twitter account. I don't really want to get into it, but I think that you're really wrong, but that's fine. No, it's all right. You don't have to believe it. It's fine. No, I, be- I believe that the conversation with Alma Best happened. Oh, yeah, it totally did. No, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't disagree with that. Do you disagree with me and Dark Lord of the Sith? Yeah. That's fine. You're welcome to do that. Because it would debunk the rule of two. Oh, man. And that's when we've gone over on a different podcast that, that's already been done. 
Right. It's but, already been done would, a million would, different that, places. That would eliminate that. Yeah. Completely. So then, like, the rule of two would just not it's make... It's already been eliminated, man. But it hasn't necessarily, because everybody's like, oh, it's, they're, al- they're like different things. They're not the same thing. They're not full-on lords of the Sith. So he wouldn't be a lord of the Sith. He would just be an alkalite, just a helper, somebody who have, like is Force-sensitive. I mean, sure. I mean, when it comes to the rule of two, once you get your own apprentice, you usually kill your master, right? That's how it stays, too. So who would his master be? Well, he was the master... Palpatine was the follower. He's not. No, Plagueis was. And who was Plagueis? What does he look like? He changed bodies. Remember? No, he didn't. Plagueis talks. They talk about how he was able to move through bodies. There's a point where that's mentioned in there. In the book, the the Palpatine book, he kills Plagueis. Right. He poisons him and kills him. I don't. I don't know where that part fits into the rest of it. And as far as the. Uh, Pieces with Jar Jar, I wouldn't necessarily, wouldn't necessarily have thought that he was the underling. I mean, as a thing, position of power is a different kind of thing. And when it comes to the rule of two, that's already been something that's been exasperated in other things. So it's not, it's not as hard set as it used to be. And like, it came about because of changes being made to the Sith Order. So once Palpatine was the head Sith, there's no reason he couldn't change it back himself. Once you're the boss, you change the rules however you want. I mean, I'll give you a Duke who was around, best we can tell, after Maul was cut in half, but Maul wasn't really dead. But they didn't know that. True. But as far as the voting, the like the deciding vote, I mean, obviously it has to be dramatic because it's a film, so if it's not up to somebody from Naboo being Jar Jar because Amidala is, no long, is out doing other stuff and she's pregnant... Like, he's the other race that's, re- he's the other representative from that planet because he's of the only other race. There's like the two races and that's it. And so, like, he's, somebody has to represent the Gungans. But why would that be the guy they picked? Well, be- I think of that- Of all the people in the Gungan ca- capital, of all the, all the other characters, I mean, I'll give you, he's the only other one with like a name people remember, I guess. Because he was a respect, like, because- the Jedi liked him, and Amidala liked him, and they vouched for him probably. And Boss Nass was like, yeah, "Okay, just take him," because <laughs> they probably they're probably like they're probably like, they're like, "Yeah, we don't really care what's going on," so like take him. But he, since he does represent Naboo, because he's of that planet, somebody has to. And obviously, it's not just I. I you know, if anything, I think somebody it's, has to make a vote. I, I hear what you're saying. I don't think it's because he's a Sith. I think it is because he was. A simple, he's simple-minded enough that Palpatine was able to just use him. Well, I mean, that would make sense. With, which is what really has actually happened. I mean... Well, that's what the movies did. Whether that was what was intended or not is totally different. So, I, I mean, that that's my thing on it, but, like, I, I just... I don't see him being a Sith. I think it makes him seem cooler than he is, but, like, I don't think that he is. It doesn't make any sense. That makes perfect sense, man. Mm. If it was hidden, if it was a hidden thing, where he, he was pretending not to be what he was. Lucas talks about Jar Jar being like. In interviews, he brings it up several times that like, if I could have told more Jar Jar story, it's really sad. And he also says Jar Jar is the key in a bunch of interviews. What does that mean? Yeah, because he's the one that puts Palpatine into power. Yeah, in the third movie. 
but these were interviews before the third, before the second movie even happened. Yeah, he probably wrote all three of those. I mean, I guess. I, I also don't necessarily think he wrote nine movies together, maybe nine ideas. Clearly, the last three don't matter because we did something he totally write different. The last three though. No, they did something he totally different. He walked away from it. And he said that that wouldn't be the story he told. He had a right. different, totally different story. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about, though. But as a thing, like initially, I just if, talk. If, if you don't think that he's smart enough to like write all nine movies to, to fit together, and they're just nine ideas, then like I don't think that he's smart enough to make Jar Jar a Sith and then to never tell anybody. <laughs> well, as I mean, far that, as things, man, there's there's lots of there's lots of things that point to that being a possibility. Is it a good conspiracy? Yeah. I actually told him out of what we were talking. I said, maybe I watch too many videos on YouTube and I just can't get out now. Which is possible. Because there's a lot of them. But they play some of those videos. I've seen them. I know, I know what you're talking about. I, and, I, and every time I watch them, I think that they're ridiculous because I don't, mm. I think that they're just, yeah, that's, I don't think it's a thing. Well, it'll be interesting to see what this is and if this talks about that at all. I mean, like I said, as a thing, I can see it being a, a very distinct possibility, but I also like conspiracies, so that might be why I think that. I just don't know why something so cool George Lucas would never just go like, get into it more. Like, well, why do you, he's okay, never been so, known to care what other pe- what people think. Like, he did make Attack of the Clones. He did let the Ewok movies get made. Like, he doesn't care what people think. Well, I don't think that's the. I don't think he thought any of those were going to fail that way. The Christmas special also got happened. That's, yeah, but I, but those movies didn't fail though. They made lots of money in the box office. So like the Ewok movies, no, they were on TV. No, the the prequel trilogy. Oh yeah, no, they made plenty of money. I just don't think that if he if there was so much hate towards Jar Jar, I just I don't think that it would have made any difference because he would have just. You think he would just done whatever he wanted? Yeah, to anyway? I think that's just what he does. I don't know about that. I could see if the 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 other side of that, like if he really was supposed to be the bad guy, right? And he. Poses as a good guy the entire time. I don't think he was. Spo- I mean, had, e- even if you, even if there's an inkling of truth behind it, right? He was. I don't think he was supposed to be the bad guy. I think he was a bad guy. Okay. I think Palpatine ultimately is the bad Regardless guy. Regardless of what position he's in, whether he's the bad guy, a bad guy, bad guy, whatever, it doesn't matter. That semantics doesn't matter. But you also got to understand that Palpatine, through what Plague was taught him, was able to make. Shmi Skywalker become pregnant and like control things from a distance like that because he was so like he was such a master of the dark side. So I, you know, he could, he could definitely have used somebody like Jar Jar and like why maybe his own people like shunned him is because he was being puppeted by the dark side and they could feel the dark side energy. They just didn't know. They didn't know that's what, why they were shunning him. That just adds to the possibility of being true. But I, but I don't think that he was knowingly. I, I think if I think he was unknowingly being puppeted by Palpatine. If anything, if anything, I don't think that he knew what he was doing. I mean, that's possible. On the on the on the other side of that, I mean, that just adds more to like be, being a possibility. But as far as like the way I believe it is that if. The truth is that Jar Jar was supposed to be a bad guy. And all the toys and all the stuff that was put out in the world was to make you love Jar Jar because that's what George wanted. He wanted people to love Jar Jar. And if everybody loved him, including the cast, when he turns out to be a bad guy, it's a it's a double stab. Because not only is it like a crazy reveal, just like Vader being the father, 
it's revealed inside the movie that even the characters in the movie didn't see coming. But once everybody hates Jar Jar, if you reveal he's the bad guy, all of us will say, oh, that makes sense. Because we didn't like him anyway. So it doesn't have the same effect. Yeah. That's an entirely different thing for it's completely derailed what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. But I mean, I think that ultimately, George Lucas is a master of merchandising and like him knowingly keeping the merchandising rights and making billions of dollars off that specifically. Oh, for sure. No, he's, I think he just rolled the dice on a character he thought might be entertaining and people might like. And people were like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. I think he just rolled the dice and lost on this one. Like, I mean, honestly, like, I think that that's all it was. Well, maybe. You know what was kind of crazy? At that same convention, there was a guy carrying around one of the, uh, do you remember the, yeah, the full-size ma- maquettes of Jar Jar that was, that were at some of the Coke displays? They were like full-on statues of him, like life-size ones. There was a guy carrying one of those to the convention center. I'm sure he got it signed. It was just really funny to watch him walking down these, cause this, this convention happens in the, uh, hockey arena. So he was carrying it down the stairs in the hockey arena to the floor, and both me and Brian thought, there's an elevator. What's he doing? It looked hilarious, because here's Jar Jar over his shoulder, like, burr, 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 and down the stairs. It was hilarious. It was, you had to be there, I guess. Had to be there. It was funny. Dude, because the, the maquette doesn't, it doesn't bend at all. It's all one statue piece. And he's got it on his shoulder, and like the head just, it's, it was, it was hilarious. Because the thing's bigger than the dude that was carrying it. It was, yeah, it was funny. Anyway, that's my pieces about all my best and how the dude is a great dude. So hopefully whatever this is turns into something really cool. One man show, currently untitled. Trying to make money off of something he did 30 years ago. So be it. That's what they're all doing. Yeah, that's fine. I hope it's successful for him as well. Do you have some more news? So yeah, speaking of other news, this is my last piece. Um, supposedly Dwayne the Rock Johnson leaked. Mul- I've read multiple things. Supposedly he leaked the post-credit scene from Black Adam, which I don't. I'm not. I don't necessarily want to spoil it for anybody. But what I read and what you and me talked about, you said that you've known about this for ages. I've I've been I read movie news every single day and today is the first day that that popped up. So, I don't know where you saw it. No. There's been a lot of rumor of that happening that Wait. may but maybe that was going to happen, but now it's official. Like it, it it's been like so social media platforms are scrambling to take it down because it's like a big deal. Right. Well, rumor usually comes from something, so yeah. Yes and no. I mean, there's rumors of all sorts of stuff happening in the movies that it never does. So well, the, the rumors are a little bit different than like, I don't know. It it all depends on what it is. But yeah, this this is one that I heard before. So I feel like that wasn't something that was new, new. But I guess it being official is different. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't want to. I I I don't no, know. That's I, fine. I, I don't I feel about Black Adams next week. So for time in the world. So, you know, stick around because there's a post-credit scene if it's still in there. Well, I mean, there's already probably out. They're not going to take it out now. Well, yeah, it debuted overseas already, so. But I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, people are going to already be talking about it if that's the case, too. So, ultimately, if it is true, then I'm going to be more interested in it. And if it's not true, then I'm not going to be less interested in it. That's all I have to say. Because, like, 
that's how I feel about the DC universe. Like, right. It'll be interesting to see. The trailers for that thing look great too. So I guess we'll see. Yeah. I mean, in this day and age, I think making an anti-hero, which even that, like, he's just been a straight up villain for decades too. Sure. Like the anti-hero thing, we've had that conversation on this podcast and other ones as well about how like everything's getting turned into an anti-hero because there's so many, so much gray and it's not always this or this, but like there's not any just real villains anymore. Um, the lines are definitely blurred on most of the, if they're popular. And it's super annoying, but yeah, like, but popular. Black Adam is, is one that like could potentially be both. He just, you know, he does heroic things, but he also just does them in very violent ways. Right. Well, he's been on the Justice League for a minute. And not Currently, there's no Justice League book happening because of Dark Crisis happening, but he was on the Justice League before that for a minute. But yeah, when it comes to things, I feel like he sits in a much grayer area now because of the way they've explained his backstory. And like, I wouldn't necessarily ever say Sinestro is necessarily a gray but he's also done things that aren't entirely bad also. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but his whole planet was destroyed, wasn't it? No, Kroger's still around. He just ruled it with iron fists like crazy. It's not like his family died or something, that's why. I don't remember. Sinestro? Yeah. yeah. The planet was destroyed with kilowogs. But yeah, Sinestro's got... I mean, his, his daughter's still running around doing things, but I think the wife is dead. Yeah, that's what it was. Anyway, yeah, his his daughter has recently gone from uh, Green Lantern to Yellow Lantern, so which is not exactly current because it happened a minute ago. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so last piece of news I had. Uh, so for the hundredth anniversary of Disney, uh, Disney is going to be putting out a batch of Disney flavored Marvel com- comic book variant covers. So like uh, the Avengers, except it's Mickey Mouse, Goofy, Donald, Daisy. You know the. Uh, troop of, I don't know what you even call them, the Disney characters, let's go with that. Uh, but they're going to be doing a batch of them throughout the year, next this next year, 2023. Um, the first one in January is Amazing Spider-Man book. It looks like a couple of Amazing Spider-Man, actually. Um, but yeah, as far as variants, that's going to be a thing happening, so if you're a Disney fan, they don't actually have them in the catalogs to order yet, so they announced it this week, so it's pretty new. So we don't even know what kind of variants they are, if they're incident variants, they're orderable variants, or what they are. If they were orderable, it makes sense to me, only because of what it is. But they've done a couple others that were like Mickey Mouse and Wolverine and Spider-Man, and they were like 1 in 100s or something. Because I've seen the picture, but yeah, they were crazy. So I think these will probably be easier to get. I think the only, there's only maybe a couple of pictures on the internet right now. There's one with the Avengers made up to be them, and it's a recreation of Avengers. Uh, oh gosh. It's the issue where Cap America comes back. Cause Mickey is dressed up as Cap. I don't remember the number though. Hmm. Not, it doesn't matter. The number of the comic book is going to be Amazing Spider-Man 17. But the number of the book that the covers are recreating, I don't remember. Anyway, so I mean, that'll be neat. I mean, they're going to do a total of 12 of them. I guess we'll see where they land as far as uh, books, but at least the first three are listed as being Amazing Spider-Man covers, so I kind of think they might all be. But they haven't really listed anything farther than that, and they're listed as being monthly as well, so January, February, March. 
then after that, I mean, nothing else has been put up about it, so. Anyway, that's all I got for that. Anything else over there? No, sir. All right. Well, I guess with all that nonsense out of the way, um, we can move on to some books. Yep, yep. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. All right, so we're going to do uh, Junkyard Joe number one. This is from uh, Image Comics under the uh, Mad Ghost imprint, which uh, this guy is written by Jeff Johns and the artist uh, Gary Frank, which you should know them from uh, Doomsday Clock and a ton of other things because they're both fantastic. And Junkyard Joe is a character that spins out of the uh, the Geiger series done by uh, done by the same two, actually, over at Image. But this is a prequel to that. So when we first open up, the first page tells us this is 1972. We cut inside and we are, we are in Vietnam. And uh, there's a batch of guys sitting around as a helicopter comes in and all trying to enjoy the terrible heat of Vietnam. And, uh, we cut from there to, to see the important part of what's happening there is the helicopter's landing and there's somebody new on the helicopter. So we have one of the, one of the other soldiers runs over and he's like, let's go soldier. It's time to get up. Let's go. And, uh, he, we see his face responding to the face of the soldier and, he, you can tell he's taken back because the it's like something's not right. He's like he says something to the, the helicopter pilot. He's like, "Is he deaf or something?" And the helicopter pilot says, "I don't know, but he doesn't talk. He hasn't said anything the entire ride." He's like, "Well, he he better read my lips then and get his butt moving." And he orders him out of the plane. And of course, he turns his head, and we see like this little sound effect that's like a whirring noise as he turns his head, and it's all in shadow. Really, really done great. Because it doesn't show his eyes, it's like, uh, yeah, it just framed really, really cool. From there, we cut to a couple of guys in the barracks, and we got one of the dudes who's writing a letter home, and he's looking at a picture of his uh, lady at home and writing about how much he, he misses her. And there's a call from, there's a mail call that goes on, and we find out this is Muddy. Muddy is one of the uh, guys in this particular unit that's getting ready to have the new new recruit added to it. When he's talking to Bumbles, he's one of the uh, guys in this particular unit, and he's like. Uh, we got the mail call going on. You got to get your letter out if you're going to get it out. And so he's like, uh, he hurries over there to the, to the mail call and he's like, I got one to send. I got one to send. And he's like, is there anything new? And the guy tells him, oh no, this is just pick up. It's not delivery. So we don't have anything for you today. And gives him a letter. And we, uh, saw a little earlier when he was talking to Bumbles that, uh, he was drawing on the back of it. And he's got like a cartoon drawing of him and this girl we just saw the picture of. And now we find out that he's planning to marry her when he gets home and he has a, life waiting for him when he's out of this crazy war. It was generally is a death note when it comes to movies. You get too much backstory and that kills you. But uh anyway, so he gives him the uh gives him the letter and we cut to the the Sarge and the Sarge is angry he's getting a new guy right away and where'd this guy come from? Why is he here? And he's reading him the riot act of this is how you have to act and how you have to behave and um he tells him, Where's your papers? And uh, our our fella reaches into his pocket and pulls out his papers and hands them to him. He's like, I don't care what your papers say. It doesn't matter what your papers say. Like, if you're supposed to be in here, you just got to stay with the team, do what I tell you, and keep your head down. And uh, dialogue is a lot better than what I'm giving you. But it's, because it's written, it's written pretty thorough. And it's, it's great. And he's like, I can't tell if he's ready to cry or be super angry. Because he's, his face has a flat effect the entire time. Even so much that the sergeant's like, something not right cut from there to where uh, they've all been ordered to go out because they're, they're the next troop to leave search-wise. So everybody's putting on their gear and getting together and 
Um, our guy Muddy walks over to uh, the new recruit and he starts talking to him and he sees that as the new recruit turns and looks at him, we see what they've all been saying. Like his face, I mean, it looks like a face, but there's no like, there's no effect to it. It's like, like blank. Like everything's there, mouth, nose, eyes, blah, blah, blah. But there's no effect in it. Like it. No, he just shows no emotion. Right, exactly. There's no, no read from it whatsoever. And like, as he's talking to him, he's like, yeah, I feel you, man. Like, this stuff's all crazy. And he's like, you just gotta be careful. You know, everybody will warm up to you, blah, blah, blah. I can understand if you're scared. If you wouldn't, if you weren't scared, you wouldn't be human. And off he walks. So he gets the read off him as if he's scared, not as if he's not there. But, uh, as if the read from his no emotion is fear. So we come from there tonight. Um, they've all been out and marching through trying to decide which direction to go to get to where they need to, need to be at. And, uh, as they're going over this map, they're trying to decide that whether they go through the rice paddies or whether they go around the fork of the river. And it, it's like, this will save us three hours. And it's like, well, we should have been this part two hours ago. And as they're talking about where they're supposed to be and how they need to get there, there's a point where we see that now our guy's just, he's just standing there, like, Muddy's, Muddy's in the group work, working on where, where they're gonna go. But, uh, our new soldier, he's just standing there staring into the darkness. And, uh, they send one of the other guys over to check on the new recruit. And, uh, he walks up to him. And as he starts talking to him, asking him, like, how he's doing, and one of the other uh, soldiers calls up to him. He's like, hey, you got any dry socks? And he's like, oh, I don't, I don't have any dry anything. And he turns to answer the question and, we see his bullet rip through his face. His teeth come flying out. It's gross. The bullet hits one cheek, comes flying out. We see his teeth in the middle. It's, it's, it's bad. Um, from there we see the sergeant heels take cover. And, uh, he's like, I said get down. And we see that now our soldier, the, the dude from the helicopter, not muddy, but the guy from the helicopter pulls up his gun and just starts firing into the darkness. And we get a shot of his eyes in the darkness. We see they're like this glowing, like his pupils are glowing. And uh, the sergeant's still yelling at everyone to get down. And we just see him fire. Blam, 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 blam. And every one of the shots takes a dude out in the trees. And uh, we cut back to Muddy. He's like, y'all see that? And then here comes running another uh, another insurgent. And the insurgent's got a grenade in his hands. And uh, the charge's like, fall back, fall back. Everybody move. And... Our new recruit just charges him, like straight up full on face charges him, grabs a dude, pushes him into the water, sinks him to the ground with himself on top, and then the, the grenade explodes. And uh, after the explosion, we see uh, now a smoking silhouette of a man standing in the river as it rains down chunks of pieces of people or guts or whatever. One of the guys is like the new guy, he... He jumped on the VC and, and Sarge, where did his paper say he came from? Because we see his outline and you can tell things aren't right, but the fact is he's still standing and moving around, which doesn't make any sense at all. And, uh, one of the other guys is like, Muddy, what is that thing? And he's like, I got no idea. And, uh, as we, as that's going on, we see, uh, this is Joe that he's at the new recruit come walking back out of the water and we see torn off pant leg and you see robot parts and you see his hand it's very much a Terminator hand and he walks over and he picks up a pack off the guy who got shot and he starts cleaning out the pack takes the dude's jacket takes his shirt replaces his shirt 
um, the destroyed one, with the, the the other soldier who just died shirt. And uh, one of the guys is like, I mean, he's he's going he, he's going through his band aid stuff. He's going through his stuff. And uh, after he dresses himself, he picks up the machine gun, turns, and we see his face again. And now his face is, of course, the junkyard Joe face, which is a robot face. Um, no human element anymore. His hands are completely robot. And uh, he's just standing there, and they're like, Sarge, what do we do? Right? He's like, well, we have our orders. Move forward. The, the, we're going to head through where the Vsir hold up. We're going to get to that village. And we're going to take them out. And we're going to do it for uh, for Buzzard and Band-Aid. The, the two guys that died are Buzzard and Band-Aid. I guess I should have said that. Band-Aid was one of the... This guy got shot in the face. And Buzzard's the one that got blown up with the... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Two of the two of the other guys. We're going to do it for the other guys. And he's like, what What about that? And uh, Buddy, Buddy says, well, he saved us. And he's like, but he's a robot. And Buddy's like, well, what the heck are we supposed to do, Sarge? And he's like, well, it's walking this way. Keep your gun down, Jack. And uh, he basically walks over and joins the group and as if he's just supposed to be there. And uh, he's like, well, he's not aiming at us. So as long as he's not aiming at us, he must be with us. And Sarge says, it's time to move out. And so uh, they all turn and start to head into the jungle, being followed by Joe. Uh, so we cut to the morning, and uh, the, the men are all trying to rest, and sitting down, they're tired, and they're all tired of being tired and hot, and uh, they're tired of getting beaten by mosquitoes. One of the guys looks at him, he's like, look at him, Muddy. Acts like he's he's not bothered by any of this. Well, you basically see Joe just standing on the edge of the clearing, staring off into the open wilderness. And he's like, well, he keeps watching, I guess. He's like, well, maybe he's an angel. Maybe, maybe the angel sent him. He's like, I, I don't know. I, th- I don't think robots are angels. He's like, yeah, but if they didn't, then who sent him here? And uh, we returned to the other group of guys, and they've all decided to play cards while they're taking their break and resting. The group of them are playing, like, they're just playing poker. Betting for uh, matchsticks and cigarettes. And uh, as they're playing, eventually Muddy looks over at him, looks over at Joe, and he gets up and he walks over to him, and he starts trying to talk to him, and he, Joe doesn't really respond at all, but you can see that Muddy is just trying to, I don't know, trying to be friends with him, I guess, is what he's doing. He's like, you must be getting tired. Be all made out of metal. Your knees must get tired. He's like, why don't you take a break? Come join us. And so he basically tells him to come join him playing cards. There's no response. He's like, well, if you want to come join us, you can. And he starts, he, he tells him a little bit about his wife-to-be and how when he gets home he's going to marry her and Stuff about her father and talking about what his life's going to be like after he gets out of the war. And he's like, well, that's all I got. I'm on the way back. If you're interested, I can teach you how to play. And he tells him thanks again for saving him. And as he walks back to the group, we see Joe's head turn and we get that same whirring noise because he's robot. And uh, he basically walks over the group with his M16 like still in hand, like you know, just holding it. And they're all like, does he want to play? I think he... I think he wants to play. Well, deal the man in. And so they like sort of make room for him to sit down with them and play cards. It's it's kind of freaking awesome. Like it's it's all very uh I don't know. Think about any like platoon movie and people trying to get to know each other or whatever, but one of them's a robot. So there's that. Uh, anyway, we cut to the evening and so now we're marching again because it's 
you know, better to move at night, less likely to get shot. And they talk about how he won most of the card games, and they're like, well, he doesn't even, he doesn't smoke. What's he going to do with the cigarettes? He's like, I don't necessarily think it's about that. He's like, well, maybe you can trade him, uh, maybe you can trade for something. He's like, well, what does a robot need other than oil? All robots need oil, right? And so we cut through a couple different days. So we flash to a day, daytime shot where he's talking to one of the other guys, and he talks, he's telling him about how he has two brothers, and one lives in the north, one fights, one's fighting in the north, one's fighting in the south, and he's stuck in the middle. And so it's like, all of them kind of have these moments with him where they're explaining their life to the robot. Muddy talks to him the most. Muddy's the one with the wife at home and was drawing pictures of his uh, wife and him on the back of the letters. Uh, but each one of these different panels over the next six frames go through different like time frames. Like once we're at night, once during the middle of the day, another time's in the rain at night, another time again during the middle of the day. And then a little bit later on, we got Joe with a stick sticking out of his head as camouflage, like uh, out of his helmet. And like all the different guys are having these moments with him. And at one point, uh, one of them, he helps one of them climb up a ridge and he's like, I can't believe it. Thanks for all the help. And so like, as they all interdate themselves to him, um, eventually we get to the, the, the few, it must be six or seven days down the road because of how many frames there are in the book. It doesn't really tell us passage of time, but the imagery tells us that they're different days. Anyway. Uh, so we get back to, uh, him and Muddy talking again. He's talking again about being back home. And the group of them come across this wild, like, it's, it's not a, it's buffalo? Is that what it is? Or water buffalo. Water buffalo? Okay. Yeah. So they come across this water buffalo and, uh, the group of them are like, well, what's this thing doing in the middle of the road? The, the group of them look at it and we see a close up on it and it, it makes a huffing noise. And uh, at one point, uh, they sick one of the guys to go and see what the, what's going on with it. He's like, all right, well, I'll, I'll slap this thing and get it out of our way. And as he walks up to it, he winds up seeing that it's got a bunch of charges on it and a rope wrapped around its side. And he turns to the other guys, and this is the Sarge, and he's like, it's a trip. And at that point, the the water buffalo explodes. And all these, all these uh, packs of explosive go off, and it rips a bunch of them to shreds. And Buddy yells for Joe, and he, Joe runs as this tree's falling down, and Joe runs over and he catches the tree. Muddy gets hit on the head. A few of the other guys go down, and we see a bunch of insurgents jump out and just start shooting at everybody. And they mow almost everybody else down. Like, it's bloodbath style. Fire and bullets everywhere. And one of the guys who's pinned down is like, I, I want to go home. And you see Muddy's face is covered in blood now from when he got hit on the head by the tree. And, uh, from there, we, we, we see that guy get stabbed from behind and then back in the neck with the end of a bayonet. And then from there, we see the, the insurgents above him. And, uh, that guy sees that Muddy is pinned down partially underneath the tree. Um, they kill another guy and the, they come, the last guy comes over to Muddy with, uh, with his knife, like he's going to bayonet him just like he did the other dude. And about that time, the side of that guy's face explodes with a fist. It's super bloody. But it's a robot fist. And, uh, the two other insurgents see it and they're like, what? What? Get back to the village. Run. And, uh, we see Joe standing above Muddy and he picks Muddy up and he carries him through the jungle. Um, they bandaged his head up at some point. I'm, I'm assuming Joe did that because I don't think Muddy did it. Uh, but as he's carrying him through the jungle, Muddy's still talking to him and he's like, why'd they send us here anyway? Why'd they ever send us? I don't understand. Why? Why did they send us here? And uh, at that point, 
they stop along the riverside, and I think this is the same place where the original insurgents blew Joe up, because it kind of looks like the same rock area. That part doesn't matter. All of a sudden, we see Joe set money down, and he stands up, and we see this unit beta with a question mark, and it says, uh, mission is over, head to south, head south the base, or head south the base, and uh, you see him just turn, and you, Joe looks off in the distance and sees this bloody, like this crazy fire happening. It's where they came from. And it says, and it's got this little bit of monologue that seems like interior monologue, and it says, they killed him, Joe. They killed our friends. And we know that this is Muddy's voice that he's hearing in his own head. And it says, baby unit, with a question mark again. And then it says, unit, you're ordered to, to turn, return to head south immediately. And uh, we wind up seeing Joe basically take steps and leave Muddy just sitting there on the bank. Uh, from there, we return to the... Uh, two insurgents that return to their village, we see where Joe is headed to was to their to their village. And uh, he runs in there and he basically just trashes all of them. Grabs a bunch of grenades, throws the grenades at them, mows them all down. And then at one point, after he's killed everyone in the village, well, almost everyone, he sees a little boy. And the little boy is just standing there and he's terrified of this military man. And we see that reflected in Joe's eyes again, and then we see a lady run out of one of the huts, and she runs over to the little boy and hu- hugs him. And uh, then we see Joe put out his arms, he, to, he breaks the machine gun in half, and all of a sudden we get this buzzing and whirring, and he basically turns off. And then we cut from there to a room full of, um, well, there's a couple scientist doctor types, but then a bunch of business suit types, political figures, the one that looks very uh, Richard Nixon-y. Style, it's clear. It's Nixon. It's Nixon, yeah. And uh, then they call him Mr. President. Do they? I can't remember if they said that or not. Oh yeah, they do say Mr. President. Uh, We need in this Mr. President, and he's like, "Well, prepare for the eight points. Prepare for the next step of it." Is American America is leaving Vietnam, and uh, they shut down the whatever was happening, and uh, we cut from there to a a, uh, army medical tent. And we've got Muddy sitting there, and he's managing himself back to the medical tent, and he's talking to another guy. And the two of them, uh, as he's going over, he's like, uh, there's all these rumors about a robot soldier. Like, people are saying that he, he trashed this whole village, and it's crazy. And Muddy's just like, yeah, uh, you don't want to know what I saw out there, Doc. It saved my life, though. No, it's, he's tell, he keeps, t- he's telling them. About the robot. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's telling them, and they're like, "You do, like, you need to quit talking about robots because like you you're, I'm going to put a bl- blue bracelet on you, and you, you don't right. want a blue bracelet." So the doctor's uh, trying to convince him to shut up about the robot, and he's like, "Well, it saved me." And uh, anyway, eventually he convinces Muddy that he just needs to keep it to himself so he doesn't have to blue bracelet him and send him back as crazy. And uh, we cut to the evening, and uh, we wind up seeing uh, as one of the other uh, one of the other guys comes around to pick up mail call. That uh, Muddy's been drawing pictures of Joe. A little more cartoony than Joe looks, but uh, nevertheless, um, that's where the story basically wraps. And it tells us that uh, whatever happened to Junkyard Joe with a big question mark is what's supposed to be in the next issue. So just moving through, forward through time, like how, what's going to happen next. It's a pretty great book. Like, the art's really good. Like, I like Gary Frank a lot. Like, uh, I, I can't have done nearly enough justice to that book because it's fantastic. Um, for being a, a weird story that is connected to another story in the future, Jeff Johns is just great, though. And even though he's coming back over to DC to do a batch of books, 
Um, he's going to be writing um, the JSA, which starts, I want to say, in November, and then a Stargirl series, and there's a one-shot coming out called uh, The Golden Golden Age that sets up the JSA story. So he's going back over to DC with at least two books. Stargirl's a miniseries, JSA sounds like an ongoing. So it'll be interesting to see what that winds up being. But when it comes to, like, uh, just writing in general, I mean, Jeff John's great. He's so good. Um, I mean, as far as score, I, I give it, a, I give this book a four. Like, it's, it's pretty good. And it's interesting. A lot of neat visuals. I mean, when it comes to art, Gary Frank draws just amazing. But all the just crazy things in this book are, they're great. I mean, when, when Bandit gets shot in the face, man, it is so crazy. Bandit being the first soldier that got dead in our group. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I give it a four. Um, interesting. I, I like it. 45, what do you know about the Junkyard Joe? Uh, I'm good at four as well. I like, art's pretty decent. Story's great. Pretty interesting story about them. Basically, a, a robot being humanized by, it, it's learning. All the stuff that you saw, like all this, all the stories from all the guys and like. Yeah, just, it, it's learning itself and it's like, it's becoming like familiar with stuff and that's why like at the end, like, it breaks the gun and then shuts itself down because it, it doesn't like it. There's like basically what the, what the, uh, politicians say is like it, the, the war is unwinnable because it's like there's, there's, it's too much gray area. Right. What's going on, you know, like tying like bombs to water buffalo, but they're also like have like little kids. It's just, yeah, it's, it's you know, obviously is if you know anything about Vietnam and how horrible of a situation it was, but yeah, it was, it was a really good book. And I, I thought the cover was pretty cool because it looks like an old school GI Joe, but it's like a junkyard Joe. It's like a robot. Uh, pretty cool. Yeah, they, there's a whole batch of covers. I think this is cover. I think it's cover D. Is the lettering for it? They did a batch of these books also in black and white. So there's like a version of uh, this same book with a black and white cover that the interiors are all black and white, so they don't have any of the color. It's just the pencil work, well, or ink work, I guess. Anyway. Yeah, it's pretty crazy how many covers and how many versions of this book exist for issue one. Because um, it had a lot of covers. But yeah, when it comes to art, all the covers were really cool. So, but yeah, this one's the uh, the G.I. Joe package one, which I thought was great. Well, from there, we move on to some Sacrament. Alright. Now we have Sacrament from AWA. Uh, it's written by Peter Milligan. And drawn by Marcelo Fruzin. The Year of Our Lord, 2999. Um, it's this crazy utopian future. They're on some, some planet with two suns and it's just gray and disgusting and people have like pretty high tech gas masks on and there's a group of people leading somebody who seems to be a priest, and they call him Father, and they're like, come, Father, quick, before we're seen. And the the priest says, I have a very bad feeling about this. Star Wars line. It can barely be said, but our daughter needs help, even though she's not really our daughter anymore. And as the priest comes in and takes off his mask, he's like, it's even worse than I feared. And you see, like, the crazy exorcist girl chained to the bed, um, eyes rolling back in her head, like, skin's all messed up, and... He's like, this, this, this young woman needs a doctor. He's like, well, the site medics can't do anything and we can't afford a psychosurgeon. He's like, look, look at her. Tell me she isn't possessed by a demon or something. He's like, if, if that's a, the case, I'm really not qualified. And the parents are like, 
but we heard how you fought the devil on New Saturn, Father. Like, th- that, that was, but that was over 15 years ago. Anyway, I remember none of what happened that day. I blacked out. And the mom's like, well, for pity's sake, at least lay your hands on her. Say you'll try to help. Novus Rai, which is his, his nun, or apprentice. I can't really tell, like, how this, how it works, but. Yeah. An apprentice, because she's wearing similar clothes to him. She's like, of course, Father Vass will try. He's the finest man I know. If anyone can help your daughter, he can. And as Father Vass stands there, he's like, oh, God, look at me. How am I supposed to cure anyone? A man who can't even cure himself. And he's like, oh, good God, look at her skin. Novus Rai starts, starts praying behind him. And he, and he's like, please God, if ever, if you ever deign to hear me again, do this one thing. Help this girl, I beg you. I beseech you. And she starts like, opens her mouth and starts like vomiting. And he's like, oh my gosh, that smell. It's indescribable. It's like, she's burning up. Get some water. I'm like, father, is that the smell of the evil one? And he yells, water! And, uh, maybe God does listen to help my prayer. Maybe he does help her because she's dead within 10 minutes. The parents don't say that they blame me. They don't need to, but I see it in their eyes. They think I'm a charlatan, a fake. They're right, of course. They're right. An hour later, we're headed for a new colony, another meeting of the faithful. And at this point, they're on a ship heading to another planet. He's standing in this corridor by himself, like just leaning against the wall. And he, and he says, I'm starting to get clammy shakes, peripheral blurring of vision, the familiar abyss closing in, feeling the weight of the trans sub in my palm, I'm immediately calmer. And when I hold it to my oculus die, those regions of my per, uh, parietal cortex known as the god locus are ignited. And for one brief sacred moment, peace. So he has like this little thing that, I mean, it's the size of a, a, a phone. And he like puts it on his head and it like, but it has a cross on it and it like, it flashes a light. And so it does something to the brain. It's like, he's using it as a drug basically. Right. Stimulates a part of your brain. It's called the, the trans sub is what he calls it. And then you have the big spread of the, of the ship flying through space and says sacrament. In the year of our Lord 2999, mankind has escaped earth, but it hasn't escaped its demons. So what looks like to be uh, the bridge, he's sitting in, his, uh, sitting in his captain's chair, and he's like, steady now, I checked the dead girl's symptoms into several medical databases. Um, Novus Rye has been with me for a year, poor deluded girl. And then between them, they start talking, and she says, are you all right, father? He's like, I- I'm fine, Rye, really. And like, no, no one could have done more than you did to exercise that demon, father. And he's like, demon? That young woman died of a rare but documented disease caused by particular minerals and heavy metals she was forced to live with and work with. She died because of lousy working and living conditions. There wasn't a demon. He's like, but the smell. That was industrial and environmental poisoning. She didn't need a priest. She needed a revolution. Novus Rye says, I, I, he's like, well, I'm, and, Father Vass says, I- "I'm sorry, right? I didn't. Ha- I sh- I shouldn't have shouted at you, but both get some rest. We 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 have a busy day tomorrow." And then on to a next planet. He says, "As it turns out, not so busy. The mass is poorly attended, and so he's sitting there doing mass to all the all these all these humans on another planet. But he's doing it the same with the same device. And uh, it seems that there have been some purges on the colony lately, or maybe a simple loss of faith. Though God knows the faith is all about." Faith is about all they have on some of these miserable early planets. And as he's doing, he says, May the spirit of the divine touch you. And this, like, half, this, um, cyborg guy is like, Oh man, 
And as he's like, as I administer um, transubstantiation, I think how long ago priests actually used uh, wafer and wine. They were simpler times, before mankind discovered non-Newtonian subgravitational travel and escaped a planet that could no longer contain him. A time when Rome was a place and not just a ship. And then they show the outside of the ship and it's got a big red cross on it. Kind of like the uh, Crusades. Right. Um, it's like where a 400-year-old pope watches over her scattered, diminishing flock. Thus does my mind wander as I go through the motions of being a priest, a relic from a bygone age left behind by modern man. But this time, as he's, as he's doing the, his, the mass, doing the blessings, there's something familiar about the next one. Is this a hot memory or simple, or simply my lascivious imagination? But it, it's a young woman with like red dots on her face. And the next scene is like him, uh, taking her to bed. And he's like, both, both are sins if I still believed in such a thing. And then all of a sudden somebody runs up and says, you must go now, father. And he's like, what, why? What is it? Wardens. The penalties for attending religious ceremonies are harsh. Fines, imprisonment, forced exile. The punishment for conducting a religious ceremony is even worse. Re-education in the shape of penal colonies and neurosurgery. Hiding in priest holes, fleeing through well-worn escape routes, moving from community and one planet to the next. This is our life. This is, if you will, our mission. And he's sitting there talking to uh, Novus Rye, and he's like, Is it true... What they do to, if they catch us? He's like, you mean send us to a labor planet? Yes, right, they will. And she's like, I'm talking about how they operate on our brain, how they cut out our religion. He's like, you mean the removal of our god locus? I, I can't think of anything worse, father. And then he's thinking to himself, he's like, I don't, I don't hear that part of me, of me longs to be caught. I have the shabby remnants of my faith surgically removed. I fall asleep thinking about Novus Rye, warm, naked, young body. And ask the God I no longer believe in to make me better than this. But there is no religion and no need for the likes of me on the so-called new planets. And then it goes to like, basically like a big building similar to, I don't know, the end of Blade Runner. And a, a lot cleaner looking planet. It's like, you report Warden Chabon. It's like, Spymaster Marlov, my wardens were grievously impeded by actions of locals. And he's like, just give me the damned report, Chabon. The priest, known as Vass, has escaped. We think he's off-world, likely destination Oven Minor. Then continue your search. Report back when you have more news. Sir, if I had more men and some decent synths, my spies inform me that this Vass is a pitiful kind of priest, addicted to trans-sub and incorrigible better of women, is this true? Uh, uh, yes, yes, sir, we believe so. I was like, then you got it quite enough resources to catch him. I await your next report. Then from behind Spymaster, you see another guy walk in who's got some, uh, implants, some more, like more cybernetic implants. Um, an incorrigible better of women sounds like half the government, though being Spymaster, you'd know all about that. Citizen Relish, what's the head of Planet Security doing here? He says to the guy with the uh, cybernetic implants, and this is crazy Imperial-looking guy with red, like a red goggles, and like a, I mean, he, he just looks like a either a Nazi or Imperial officer of some sort. Um, he says, if you could remove the, move your gaze from the distant planets for the moment, we have some more local difficulties. The next scene is they're in a a room with a a body 
crucified upside down with blood draining down the wall. I was like, I don't think that things like this happen on Cal 4. Like, well, they don't. Well, they shouldn't. It's a job for the psych police. I mean, this is obviously the work of a madman. He's just tell me, tell me what you see, Marlov. He's like, well, it's an inverted crucifix. He's like, signifying. All right. Originally, the cross of St. Peter. Peter felt unworthy of being martyred um, in the same manner as Jesus. So he was crucified upside down. And the guy asks, uh, wasn't the inverted cross later adopted by, sat- by a Satanists? He's like, coincidence, relish. There's no religion on Cal 4. Your madman simply hung this victim upside down. Now, if you don't mind, I've got a busy schedule. He's like, wait, there's more. He pulls into another room, and this room is just covered in blood, and upside-down crosses painted with the blood, um, with a bunch of little evidence markers, like, numbered. This is a previous, a previously loving and studious teenager takes a laser blade and slaughters his parents, then moves on to his younger sister. Before he kills himself, he uses their blood to paint these. More coincidence? Our scientists think a particular malign alien intelligence is at work, making normally law-abiding citizens commit these atrocities. I have another theory. A priest has been smuggled onto the planet and is twisting our citizens' minds. A satanic priest? Why not? Do any of you rogue preachers have a problem with God, Marlov? And the guy looks shocked. And then if now we're at a flashback, and it's Father Vass, what seems to be what they were speaking of at the beginning, where he like um, exercised the demon that they were talking about when he blacks out. And there's another, he's there with another priest. And he says, Father Vass, the response, the Roman ritual. And he's like, in the name of the... And he doesn't... It stinks. My, 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 this, this, the flesh stinks. It's vile. He's like, Vass, in the name of God. He's like, all of a sudden, a demon... The girl, the girl turns into a demon and says, are you mine, priest? Mine? And then uh, he's, he's awakened like out of a bad dream by uh, Novus Rye. He's like, Father, wake up. He's like, what is it, Rye? He's like... You were screaming in your sleep again, Father. Was the devil trying to undo you? And he's like, excuse me? She's like, you said that yourself when the the pious rest, the devil tries to undo them. He's like, I, I said that? He's like, yeah, in your sermon to the fusion workers on Planet Pax 2. It was one of our finest. He's like, you remember all of my sermons, Novus? He's like, I do. Though I admit I find some of them a little hard to follow. The believers are gathering. I'll leave you to your morning prayer. And then he gives himself another shot of the... uh the weird electronic device. And uh he's like, yes, my morning prayer, or the nearest thing I get these days. The mass is even smaller and more miserable than usual, hardly worth coming to to the colony at all. But can this thing be measured by numbers alone? One holds back, not wanting to trans-sub, and, and with a flash of insight, I suddenly know. I know he'd he'd have had his reasons for talking to the authorities. I know he is my own personal Judas, and it shows a man with a beard, like, standing back and not, not approaching him and not kneeling. And, uh, he yells, Wardens! And, uh, they start running through the, they try to escape. He's like, there's always some escape route, and they're, they're, uh, they're being trailed by, by the Wardens, by the authorities. He's like, I go through the motions of fling, j- just as recently I have been long through motions of being a priest, but my heart's really not into it. And, uh, Novus Rye's like, Father, come on, they're gaining on us. And he says, I've turned my ankle, Rye, just go, save yourself. He's like, would our Lord have left a layman behind, Father? He's like, yes, if he'd had any sense, now go. And all of a sudden, uh, the authorities catch up to him. 
And he's like, Father Vass, I can't tell you what a pleasure this is. They put him on ships and they separate him. Rai goes one way and he goes the other. And he thinks he's going to a real rehabilitation place. Yeah. And he's standing there with a the guard over him. And he's and he says, maybe this is for the best. I'll no longer have to try to be this man Rai thinks I am. Won't have to see her disappointment when she sees the true Vass. Soon, God... Soon what remains of you will be scrapped out of my superstitious ape brain. I'll finally be rid of you. And then he's back on that. Well, this, the ship is all of a sudden on that, the planet, the clean, nicer, like a Blade Runner planet. And it says in two days before we begin to decelerate, or it's, it's two days before we just begin to decelerate. As he gets off, he's like, this doesn't look like a penal planet. Where are we? He's like, no questions. He's like, and then, uh, the spy master walks up. And he says, hello, Father Vass. I'm a spy master of Marlov. Welcome to Cal 4. In the past weeks, there have been a string of bizarre and violent incidents, murders, visions, and nightmares. I don't understand what that has to do with me. He's like, well, you should officially be on a penal planet, but I've used my influence to bring you here. You see, there's what you might call a religious dimension to all of the incidents. But there is no religion on Cal 4. And as they get out, and they're like in the middle of this crazy desert, um, on the same planet, I assume. Um, he says, the man we're going to look at, Professor, Professor Zashka, is an archaeologist specializing in long dead alien civilizations. And, uh, Voss says, you still haven't told me what this has to do with me. And it, so the spy master just keeps talking and he says, six days ago, you performed an exorcism. He's like, it was nothing of the sort. The girl was poisoned by her working conditions. He's like, that was your second exorcism, was it not, Father? He's like, you mean my my new Saturn? Um, he's like, my new Saturn exorcism? That was years ago, and I barely remember anything about it. And as they walk in, they smell the smell again, the same one. He's like, ugh. Sorry, I should have warned you about the smell. Our scientists think all the incidents are being caused by a malign alien intelligence, possibly whipped up by Jacques's digging. I'm not so sure. Come and take a look. And as they walk in, they see a guy floating from the ceiling upside down in the upside down crucified look, the same as the dead body before. And, and uh, the spy master says, it seems Zashka became like this two days before the deadly incidents began. He's like, well, he's levitating. He's like, and every time we try to move him, his heart stops. So the guy's still alive. Spy master says, you're the closest things to an expert in exorcism we have, priest. So tell me. Is this the work of an alien intelligence or demonic possession? And as it pans out, you just see uh, Vasta's face and he says, My mind races back to that poor poisoned girl. And just like then, I have a very bad feeling about this. Star Wars line. Awesome. What do you think about that book? Um, It kind of flows weird. Like... I had to reread a couple sections just to see, like, as it, like, the flashback scene, it doesn't really, they don't do it differently. It just seems like, it doesn't really give you any indication that it's a flashback until you're, like, halfway through it, and you're like, oh, this is the flashback. It just, it doesn't flow, it's kind of choppy, and, like, his internal dialogue and what's going, like, even when they're, like, on another planet and all of a sudden they're running, it just, it's just kind of choppy. It doesn't, there's not a lot of, I, I don't feel like it's super fluid. Um, the, the, the idea of the story is interesting. I like the idea of the story. I just, I feel like it's, I feel like it's just poorly done. Like I, I give it like a two, maybe a one and a half even like it's, I'm not the, the arts kind of like, it, it reminds me of Jay Lee, which 
people either like Jay Lee or hate Jay Lee because it's so dark and kind of weird. But this is like, like a, a more dirty, like less clear Jay Lee almost. Like I, I wasn't a big fan of the art either. And the cover I thought looks just like the cover of a metal album. I, I'm a, I wasn't a big fan of the cover either. So, um, overall I just, I was kind of disappointed in it. Like again, I like the idea. Like it's a cool, it's a cool premise. I just, I'm not sure. It just, it just kind of flows funky. Like all, and maybe they do it on purpose, but all the, uh, pretty much all of the, uh, like, Imperial type guys, they look identical. Like, yeah, like all the, all the, uh, like the guy that, the guy that catches him. Yeah. And then brings him to the spy master. They look exactly the same. And it's like, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know, like, if they're doing that on a purpose, like, they're supposed to be all, like, right. uniform. And the Imperials have a similar, they definitely have a similar look to them. Yeah, so, I don't know. I was, it, it's, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it was, it was just kind of choppy, the way that they do it. Like, I tried to make it flow with the storytelling, but, like, it's, it just, it was kind of choppy. But again, I, I like the premise. I like the idea of, like, intergalactic priests going around and, like, doing a, a shot of, um, like, dopamine, basically, to these people's brains with this, with a little device to, like, make them feel better. Right. You know, like, and, like, you know, trying to carry on, like, the Catholic Church in space. Exercise demons. Well, yeah, not just that, but doing mass and things right. like that. You know, like, just everything, like, all of it. Like, so, I don't know, it was, it was interesting, but kind of poorly done. What about you? You know, I, I don't dislike it the same way. Like, I, I, the, the concept I think is really good, just like, just like you. Um, the art's not, I think it fits for this story because the story's supposed to be kind of, kind of a mess, I guess, or like, Maybe not a, I don't know, because I don't, I don't feel like the art's that bad. Like, uh, it's not as sharp as other stuff I like, but I feel like for the tone of story it is, all the grays and the blacks, the way things blur together, to give us like a dystopian future feel, I feel like it fits pretty good. Um, when it comes to the weirdness, like when things get really weird at the end, it's crazy weird. I could see this turn into a movie pretty easy. I mean, it, as a, as a, a short explanation, I'd say it'd be like Event Horizon meets I don't know. Uh, yeah, there's another movie that deals with a, with a priest. Now I can't remember what the name of the movie was. Yeah, I don't remember what the other movie was, so that doesn't really help with it as an antidote. Um, as far as score, I mean, I give it a two and a half. Like, I liked it enough that I that, that I'm getting the rest of the series just to see where it goes to. I like the idea of them running around as like basically wanted criminals for what they were originally hired and intended to do, and how the regime still uses religion as its like backbone, but it doesn't really placate in it because it's illegal to do mass. It's illegal to do what he's doing. It's illegal to do religion. Like, everything is illegal, basically. But the main mothership is still Rome, and we still have a Catholic moniker running it. So like it's like there's pieces that they're. Okay, yeah, with they're a hidden society at right. this point, basically. So, like, all that stuff I think is pretty neat. And, like, the end with the guy floating is pretty crazy. And as far as being demons, whether, whether it winds up being uh, aliens or whatever, I guess I'm interested enough to see what that is. And I like how, uh, how he's, uh, I don't know, how he's addicted to it, too. So, like, that's all part of the charm of the character, I guess. 
the flashbacks I'll give you. Whenever it goes to the flashback, it's not really clear that that's what's happening until we're in the middle of it. And as far as the the the, uh, the spy master and the guy who captures him, yeah, I thought they were the same dude too because they look so much the same. And you and, can't really tell about the guy that walks into the red glasses and the hat because he has red glasses and hat on, so you don't know if he looks right. different or the same. If his face right. is so the I, same. Again, I don't know if they did that on purpose or like, right because. They're the only two officers, really, that you see that don't have, like, helmets on or something. Right. Everybody else is in gear and garb. And it may be very well a a stormtrooper scenario where they're supposed to look that way on purpose, but I don't... Until issue two, I don't know enough to know that. You know what I mean? If we see a bunch more of them... Three is supposed to be out next week. It is. I haven't read number two yet. So it's up to to three, like, three will be out on the 19th, so... Right. I just haven't read it yet. But as far as series, it's a five-part miniseries, which is pretty normal for AWA. As far as series are concerned, so I guess we'll see where it goes. Well, we'll see from there. We do some dark ride. Yep. All right. All right. So, uh, dark ride number one. This is from Image Comics. Uh, this is written by Joshua Williamson, uh, which is no stranger to the show from amount of books that he, we've gone over of his. Uh, same guy who wrote uh, uh, Nailbiter and a bunch of the Flash and. Uh, birthright. Uh, so this dude is, he, he's, he's, he's good. Um, we've, we've done a lot of his books on here. And, uh, by connection, Josh O'Neill went to school with Josh Williamson when they were kids. So I met Josh because of Josh. Giant circles of Josh's. Anyway, Josh Williamson, fantastic. Um, artist by Andre Bresson. Uh, he's the artist on the book. Um, I like the art too. Uh, so when the book opens up, it's in black and white, and we have this drawing of what looks like a giant, sort of happy-faced demon on a board, and then uh, around that is a bunch of other little sketches of scary faces, and what looks like a map and uh, a little cartoony devil guy, and it's uh, got a voice. We got one voice speaking in the, in the queue. It said, he said it was too scary, and we cut to a, a backdrop of a room with a bunch of different... I don't know, like arts and crafts stuff inside of it, a bunch of papers, a bunch of files, and it's clearly an office with a bunch of, a bunch of little things in it. And, uh, it's a, the shadow of a man and woman, and, uh, they're arguing about whatever happened at the presentation today. And she, so the wife says, so she, the woman who we do find out is the wife says, so, so he fired you? I'll find another job. And, uh, we see a bookshelf, and the bookshelf's got all kinds of occulty books. Like, uh, one called Magic, one that's just got a pentagram on it, a bunch of skulls and crossbone type books, like a whole, a whole bookcase of them. The voiceovers continue of uh, the two arguing. Again, we're hearing them seeing the room as they're arguing. And it's like, uh, I told you, nobody wants to see scary stuff. No one wants the theme park to be scared, Arthur. And then we see, uh, this desk that has like a werewolf looking head and, uh, animatronic arm with crazy claws and, uh, a whole bunch of little, uh, other little horror story things and some tools and a batch of teeth. The, the, as the argument continues, they just want to have fun. You're obscene. Your horror is just, it's garbage. You're just being a teenage boy. And, uh, then we see another scene which has a whole bunch of other, like, helmets and crazy, like, animatronic parts. And it looks like a horror story mess. It does. And, uh, the voice continues. This is the wife still talking. It says, I should have married Stanley. He's going places. He's creative. But no, I'm stuck with you. And about that time, we see uh, a man's hand pick up a globe out of a crazy, like, dragon-looking hand. 
And uh, that orb gets used to smack the lady across the face um, pretty aggressively. And uh, she claws at the man. We see the man's got a mustache. And that leads to him choking her. And uh, the voice is like, what are you, what are you, Arthur? Stop. And uh, as the noises of being strangled are happening, we go from a far back shot of the crazy looking cutesy devil to a closer shot to a very in your face shot of the cutesy devil. And it looks pretty cutesy until you get super close up. And then once you're super close up, it doesn't look so cutesy. Uh, from there we cut to, and this is all still in black and white. Uh, then we cut to the uh, man Arthur afterwards, and uh, he is disheveled and his suit's all a mess, and we see the hand of his dead wife. And uh, the room, of course, is in a strew, and everything's, you know, things are all over the floor, but some of that's already been there. That's how it normally looks. And he's, he's in shock. Uh, his face tells us he didn't mean to kill her, maybe, or he's scared of the aftermath of that. Uh, from there, we cut very quickly to uh, a body in a bag, the bag in the back of a trunk, a car on a drive, and uh, initially, as he's driving, he's angry. And this is all just visual panels, and uh, you see he's super pissed, and as he's driving later and later, he gets more and more erect to where he's upset, and then eventually, uh, he's driving, uh, driven enough time that he's had the shirt off, had the shirt, had his jacket off, had his jacket on, and then uh, we cut to uh, in the middle of nowhere. He gets out of the car with a shovel, and we see him start digging a hole. And uh, we pull back to see a wider shot, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, there's a sign that says, for sale, only 45 miles to the Las Vegas Strip. And uh, he is digging himself a very deep, pretty wide hole to bury the body. Uh, goes to the car, gets the body out, cover, comes over, throws the body in the hole. As he's looking down, you can see he's not really happy about the situation, but... You know, he doesn't want to go to jail. Uh, he tosses the body in, goes over, gets the shovel, and he hears this voice from off screen, and the voice is in red, and uh, the outlining of it, it is in red. This is the first color we see in the book. And it says, Arthur. Uh, and he looks in, the, we see him staring at the, uh, you know, the cemetery burial hole. Um, and it says, let's talk. And uh, he, he kind of walks over and he looks into the hole, and he's like, Honey? He says, oh, your lovely bride is dead, Arthur. She was always... Definitely dead. Oh, yeah. And uh, she was always a little... She was always a little dead, wasn't she? And he's like, what? Listen, your life is over. Uh, You know that, right? But I like you. You're creative. Now, how about we make a deal? And uh, you see him looking into the grave, shocked and horrified for a second after the we make a deal line comes out. Then we cut from there, I'll be, and the, the voice is still talking, it says, it'll be the greatest, the greatest ride of your life. And from there, we turn to full color. It's a two-page spread of an amusement park. An amusement park has a crazy castle, a terrifying, like, beheading drop thing, um, a thing that looks like a Godzilla, a batch of roller coasters, a crazy park of tentacles, like a haunted forest-looking thing. There's all kinds of things on here, but they all have a skew of the horror flavor to them. Uh, one of the things has a giant skull and says, War is hell! And it's a some type of ride. Um, from there we cut to uh, a listing of some of these rides. We have a batch of people that are on a uh, roller coaster that has dead bodies hanging all over, and it's called Murder Mountain. And then we go to another one that's got this what looks like a jeep and people sitting inside the jeep shooting pellet guns. And one of the guys yells, Oh, aim for the heads! And it's a bunch of zombies, like animatronic zombies, attacking it. 
And this one's called Zombie Zone. And then from there we cut to another area that's the Werewolf Woods, and we got people running from werewolves that are jumping out of the bushes. And it all looks, like, pretty fun, actually. Then from there we cut to a kid standing there with a number 13 jersey on, and he's got his, um, like, I don't know, hoodie on. He says, how can you not love Devil Land? And then a voice from office says, hey, you're the new guy? Owen? Owen Seasons, is that right? He's like, yeah, that's me. And he runs over, and this girl with, uh, I don't know, like, sort of short purpley hair, kind of buzz cutter on the top, says, uh, I'm Kate Kingston. He's like, oh, King Kate. And she's like, uh, it's a little too early for nicknames, buddy. He's like, oh, just sorry, I'm just really, really anxious. She's like, okay, well, first days can be that way, but, uh, you don't have to worry, you're gonna be following me around for your first day. I won't just throw you to the wolves just yet. Uh, she's like, come on, uh, there's a secret passage through back, to the backstage of Vampire Village. And then he perks up and says, oh yeah, it was originally behind Cannibal Cave, but they moved it back in 1990. Uh, they moved it because people kept finding it. And the girl's like, did you work here before? He's like, oh no, I just love the park and the history. It's so immersive. One giant, fun, haunted house. And so uh, we know he knows more about the park than he probably should uh, from the way he talks about it. And she's like, "Uh, all right, well, today is going to be very educational for you. And uh, while they're walking through the park, we see a bunch of shots of of different people there, you know, visiting the park, having hot dogs and running from scary things and all dressed the part of horror story and, you know, antlers, or not antlers, uh, devil horns on and stuff. And, uh, from there we cut to the inside of a, uh, viewing room. So like a bunch of security, uh, TVs and people watching cameras in the park. He's like, oh, this one guy looks like, oh yeah, we got, we got another, uh, we got another bow job. And, uh, two other guys down there's like, really? Ah, oh, man, why is it always gotta be that way? And he's like, yep, it's in the tunnel of Lovecraft. He's like, all right, well, security will be there in, uh, in 30 seconds. Tell them to, to the love, tell them to tell the lovebirds that secure, that the, that spirit's always watching. He's like, oh man, why, why is it always gotta be that way with the people in the park? And, uh, we now join, um, Katie and, uh, Owen as they've entered the room with all the security people. She's like, yeah, that's one thing about, uh, the, the horror always seems to make people kiss. And, uh, Owen's like, oh, gross. People do that in the park? She's like, oh yeah, dude, and that's the least. You're gonna hear some crazy stuff. He's like, like what? She's like, and from there we see the room full of guys all kind of respond. He's like, yeah, it's common, man. This stuff happens all the time. People try to bring their family's ashes to dispose of them. Like they want their ghosts to live on in the, in the amusement park. People come here for their vacations. People come here to, to try to kill themselves. Um, and Owen's just like taking it in. And she's like, yeah, people, these are the people. And then, so Kate, we cut the Katie. She says, oh, and these are the people that are always watching. Uh, and she introduces them all. We have Dan, Daniel, and DJ. So they all basically have the same name, which is pretty weird. Anyway, and then we get introduced to, uh, the head of security. Um, and, uh, he's like, yeah, the worst of the ones that try to kill themselves. They think they'll haunt the park. And, uh, he's, uh, I don't know, he's a pretty jacked big dude. You know, he's got the goatee and the, I don't know, security officer haircut. Uh, anyway, so he's, he's like, all right, here, here's your badge, kid. Hold on to this as if your life depended on it. And he's like, oh yeah, I got it. Um, okay. And then they leave and, uh, she explains that that's John and John's the head of security and he, you know, he's real hard to deal with, but he keeps the park safe. And uh, as they're walking through these back, I don't know, back tunnels or whatever, um, they come across this group of what look to be costumes or 
dummies. It it's it looks like the gigantic suits that people right. wear around the park. The costumes. Yeah. And of course, uh, Owen's like, oh man, that's awesome. This is Danny D. Devil, old Nick, and the fun. Danny Devil, which is a little devil we saw drawn on the, uh, on the, uh, I guess, what'd you call it? What are those bulletin boards back when the murder happened? So he's the devil headed thing with the wings. And then, uh, old Nick is like a, I don't know, a blue looking small mustache devil horned guy. And then the fun's this giant three yard purple monster with horns. And he's like, oh, do you ever get to wear the costumes, Katie? And she's like, no, man, I wouldn't want to do that. The people who wear those are weird. She's, they, they're old. It'd be really gross. So she basically tells him how she wouldn't want to do that. And he's like, all the people that do that are really weird. And then you don't want to wear it anyway because they smell terrible. Right. So from there, they leave the three of them. And, uh, I, the best you can tell they were in, the people were in the costumes. I mean, they're standing in that hallway and they sort of lean out in the hallway. And uh, Kate, he follows Katie, and Katie's not giving him a broom. And uh, basically, she's informing him that we're gonna, they're going to be on trash duty. And uh, we cut outside, and the two of them are sweeping this stuff up. And he's like, oh, this has always been my dream. He's like, I, I, I've always wanted to design my own ride. I've had this idea in my head for years. And uh, as he's explaining to her his ideas about Devil Land, and what he likes about Arthur, Arthur Dante, and the guy who came up with the whole park, and how he's so impressed with him, and how great it is that he loves the idea of working here. Well, he talks about Devil, he, okay, so he starts about the first ride of the park that he created, which is Devil Land, I guess. No, sorry. Devil's Do is the first park ride that he created, and it's the scariest one. And she's like, oh, I've never been on it. He's like, really? The, the main park ride you never went on? She's like, I'm not really here for the rides. I'm here to pay for college. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, I'm just super glad I'm here. And she's like, yeah, I'm sure your parents are really pleased with you. And he's like, well, my mom and my dad first met at a festival that was a movie festival, like a horror movie festival. So they loved this kind of stuff, and they used to take him and his sister there all the time. And uh, he talks about how great it was when they were growing up that his mom and dad were very into this stuff. And then uh, she, she says, she's she asked about the parents, and he's like, well, they died a few years ago. And uh, we cut from there to this crazy scene of an ocean with a little raft. And the raft initially has four people in it, and he talks about that there was an accident. And then we see a close-up on the raft, and there's only two people, a little boy and a girl. And he's like, yeah, it's just been me and my big sis for a while now. And we cut back from that to him uh, in the park again, talking about how she isn't into the horse stuff. She's not a big fan of it at all, but he loves it. And that working here is his dream come true. And as he's saying that, he walks into the back of somebody. And that person turns around, he's like, hello, what are you doing? And uh, we see Owen's face, and Owen's face gets super surprised, and he's like, Sam Hain? And uh, the, he's like, oh man, it's an honor to meet you. He's like, my name is Owen, I'm the biggest fan, I'm a fan of your whole family. This park is the greatest place in the whole world. And uh, Katie's like, ah, sorry, he's he's new, I, I'll get him out of here. And he's like, no, 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 it's good to meet a fan, it's perfect, come with me. Horror fans like us need to stick together, Owen. And he's like, Owen, Owen right? He's like, Owen, I want you to meet some people. Uh, let me introduce you to Nick Jordan, the head of entertainment, Marcus Good, the head of uh, relations, and uh, Sally Webb, head of head of revenue. We'd like to take you on a tour um, in exchange for a little bit of your help. And Owen's like, uh, my help? He's like, well, yeah, normally we have our meetings in boardrooms and real stuffy, stuffy places far away from the park. He goes, but we figured we'd come down here today to the park so we can be around the fans, fans like you. I'm just looking for ways to re-energize the park, make it exciting again something that would be really, really scary. 
And uh, we cut to one of the, the, the Sally lady, and she's like, people really, people have real horror to worry about, Sam. He's, she's talking to Sam Hain. She's like, they don't come, they don't want to come here anymore because they have real problems. And what's really scary anymore? And uh, Owen's like, wow, that's not, Devil Land gives them a place to escape from all that. They come here and they can leave all their real troubles behind and get immersed in a scary story. And, have some fun too. This is a way to get away from all their real problems. That's why they come here. And then one of the other executive types says, yeah, the kid's right, but I have an idea. Two words. And we cut to a close-up of him and he says, uh, family friendly, waving his hand all, you know, gesture style. And, uh, the, the it's funny because in the background right before that, we see a guy who basically looks like, uh, Alice Cooper walking around. So there's all kinds of things hidden in the background, like little, I don't know, horror innuendo things. Anyway, um, he's like, family friendly. And he's like, we create a whole new section of the park that's G-rated. He's like, right now we mostly appeal to teens and tweens, but if we put a G-rated group in there, it'll pay, we can appeal to all ages. And you see him pat Sam on the shoulder, and he's like, your daughter will love it, Sam. He's like, well, what do you think, Owen? Is Nick right? Do we need to change the park to be more family friendly? And, uh, Owen stands there. He's like, "Why? Well, I, I don't. I don't know." He's like, "Well, come on. You're a real fan. What do you really think?" And Owen goes, "Well, I don't know. It kind of feels like a betrayal of the park. Like it's a betrayal of the whole spirit of the park. It's supposed to be scary." And you see Sam walk past. Um, he's like, "I agree. I can't agree more. Look at this." And he gestures to a statue of uh, his father, Arthur, with uh, the uh, D Devil on his shoulder. A little, little version of him and uh we now know for sure that arthur is the one that murdered the girl in the in the in the desert not that we didn't know that already he says my father was told that people didn't want to be scared that they didn't want whore that they wanted family friendly he stuck to what he, he stuck to what he told them and he built his entire empire himself and he's like and no one helped him and uh he had to do it all by himself with his own blood sweat and tears he has a solution to our problem isn't to go back, isn't to go back on that. Like Odin said, the spirit of my father's legacy, that's what the park needs more of. And it's, and it's what it's going to get. Nick, you're fired. And then we see Owen, he's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean for that to happen. I wasn't trying to get you fired. And Nick's like, that's not funny, man. We've known each other for years, since we were kids. Back our whole damn lives. He's like, yep, this is business though. You're fired. And so Nick storms off angrily. And he's like, we gotta protect the spirit of the park, right? And he's talking to Owen now. He says, it's up to real fans like us to make people love the park again. That's what I like. That's what I like to hear. That's what we need. And we see, they hear like screams in the background. IEs from different roller coasters or whatever. At least that's what he thinks. And he's like, we need more screams like that. Something to get the park rolling again. And then the screams turn into like, Oh my god, I can't believe it's really hers. And he's like, what is going on? As all these people are rushing behind him. And he turns around, and we are introduced to Halloween. Uh, Halloween is a lady with uh, red hair, wearing a pair of devil horns, um, dressed up all, I don't know, like baseball jersey with the devil face on it, and stockings on her arms, and a mini skirt, and all these people are taking videos of her, and selfies of her, and f- pictures with their cell phones. And we see flashes behind her of like, a scene from a movie where she's holding a skull, a scene from what looks like a music video where she's dressed all sexy with a knife, a scene from another video that's a little more questionable, 
And uh, then we cut to her taking pictures with fans, and she's like, oh, yeah, make sure to tag me in that picture. And this other girl runs up to her. She's like, oh, I've seen all your videos. And she autographs her chest. And uh, from there, he walks into the crowd, and he's like, sister. And she's like, brother. And the two of them hug, and we get a close-up of the two of them talking to each other, like, under 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 breath. And he's like, train wreck. And she's like, sell out. He's like, oh, I thought we made a deal. You get Hollywood and the Las Vegas Strip, and uh, you stay out of my park. And she's like, oh, well, it's Dad's park. And uh, he invited me. And we see her take a few more pictures of some other people. And he's like, what are you talking about? Doesn't Dad remember the last time you were here? And she's like, oh, I guess he thought that you needed help, brother. And uh, he wants me to come and help with some of the rides. And, and I figured I'd come a day early to try to enjoy the park. He basically turns around. And he's like, well, we'll see what he what he thinks after the last time you were here with all the uh, litigation and whatnot. And he's still storming off. And uh, Owen's like, Mr. Dante, sir. It was, it was great to, uh, cause he's great, he's, he's got his hand out to try to be like, it was really great to meet you. And he's like, go back to work, trash boy. And he just storms past him. And then we see Kate, who's like, uh, had your fun? He's like, I guess so. Wow, that's Halloween. Woo. He's like, stay away from her. You stay away from the boss's daughter. Stay away from Halloween. She's, she'll eat, she's eaten people like you alive multiple times. So, yeah, when it, basically Kate's trying to warn him to stay away from her because she's dangerous and, you know, she seems to be that type of person. Uh, but this old man that starts yelling at him, he's got a broom and he's got a name tag on, and he looks like, I don't know, like for straight up a horror movie. He's got missing teeth and his hair is all gross and just, he looks disheveled like a zombie. He's like, get back to work, you idiots. This is, your business is trash. Trash is your business. You get back to cleaning. The spot has, the park has to stay spotless at all times. Spotless. And Kate's like, it's all right, Alistair, n- relax. We're getting back to work. It's fine. He's like, ah, we've got to throw, we got to throw up over in the Terror Twister. She's like, oh, well, we got the new kid to clean it up right here. And he's like, oh, great. So she basically sends him to clean up the trap, the throw up in the uh, t- Terror Twister. And from there, he walks. Walk, as Owen walks off to go clean up the mess, we want to meet this other character who's a a video blogger. Anyway, he, he's Theo, and he does a show called Theo's Amusement Park Mysteries. And he's, uh, he's taking on a new treat. So he's doing his own video of himself, and he's talking to the camera and making a video for his, I guess, vlog. He's like, oh, all right, everybody, here we are at, uh, at, uh, at, at the, uh, Devil Land, and today we'll get a special treat because we got to see Samhain and Halloween, both at the, uh, both Vontor Dante's kids. At the park, which never happens, ever. That's both of his kids from his less mysterious marriage. And he goes on to talk a little bit more about, you know, the rumors of the two of them not getting along. Well, they're both here at the park today, and that's a neat treat for everybody. And uh, as, he's, as he goes through his spiel, he, he mentions different things, and he starts talking about how the real question, though, for everybody is, where is Arthur Dante? The creator of Devil Land hasn't been seen in years. And he's like, there's a lot of people that think that he did, he died, or that he's living up at the top of the uh, dark castle, and he's left the sight of people. So like the whole idea of like Walt Disney being buried someplace inside the park, he kind of goes over something like that, except with Arthur, Arthur Dante instead, and uh, how they they've lied about him being dead to keep the stock market prices up. And he's like, but yeah, but there's all kinds of different things I'm going to try to investigate and take out some new stuff. But hey, there's something really cool to look forward to that. Frankenstein's Pizza has a new special. Let's go check it out. So, like, he's just going over the different theories about things and is explaining to us as the audience that Arthur Dante hasn't been seen in public in a long time. So we come from there to see outside the park, and uh, we see people leaving, and then 
another group of less people leaving to eventually there's no one there. And then we do a close-up on the tiling of the park, so Devil Land. And we pull inside to see that the park is basically empty now. Um, save her folks that are still cleaning. And we return to Owen and Katie as they're putting the last batch of trash into the trash can. He's like, oh my god, I can't believe it. It feels like we cleaned the whole park today. And Katie goes, oh, and we get to do it all again tomorrow. And he's like, oh my god, this is crazy. She goes, well, the Cannibal Cafe stays open for last call for us employees. We get to hang out and talk about the weird stuff we saw. The people watchers always have really great stories. And Owen's like, oh man, I lost my badge. I, I must have left it somewhere. And she's like, well, if you want to join us, um, you know... Well, that's where we're going to be. She says, it's not going to be in the world if you lose your badge. You'll just have to buy a new one. And uh, anyway, Owen heads off. He's like, no, no, I'll catch you later. Because he's going to go find his badge. He gets to it fairly quickly, and it looks like it was just on top of one of the trash cans or inside a pile of the trash, which is kind of weird. Uh, but when he picks it up, we see a set of glowing eyes in the bushes. And he's like, oh, wow, that was really scary. And then we see a, a shot of him inside the park with everything around him, and he's like, man... This is really crazy seeing this place like this. With none of the guests, it's a lot more scary than when there are people here. And about that time, he gets a text message on his phone, and it's like, how was your first day at work, bro? And he starts to respond to it, like, oh, it was... And that's where it leads what he was typing. And he hears the sound of a voice, and this voice is depicted the same way the voice that talked to Arthur Dante was. And it says, Owen. And we turn around, he's looking at the crazy uh, Devil's Do ride you know, the scariest one in the park. And we see the face of it, and the face of the Devil's Due Ride is the same face that was drawn on the blackboard in the house where the wife was murdered. And he's like, hello? And then it calls for Owen again, and he's like, oh, I get it. This is a haze in the first, the haze in the new guy on the first day, right? And he walks into the, walks into the uh, attraction. As he's walking through it, he's looking at all the different stuff, and we see this crazy devil face thing. Well, if you guys are trying to scare me, it's going to take a lot more to scare me than that. And uh, as he continues to walk through the lead into where the ride actually is, he turns and he's like, well, that's new. And he points at the exhibit that has the demon thing in it. And then he turns to the next exhibit, and the next exhibit is of two people in the water um, as if they were drowned, hanging marionette style. Because, you know, it's a display. And he's like, Mom? And he reaches in, he sort of touches one of the foots, feet of the uh, mannequins. He's like, "Oh, this isn't funny. This, this isn't, this isn't scary anymore. This isn't funny. I'm out of here." And as he turns to walk away, like when he's saying that, we see a guy in the shadows behind him for like two seconds, and then uh, he turns to exit, and we see the fun Devil D, and the other one's name I can't remember. All three of the ones that we saw earlier in the in the. Uh, in the walkways underneath the amusement park. He's like, oh, whatever. I don't I don't know what you guys are trying to do. And they all grab him. He's like, hey, what the what the hell? Let me out of here. And they slam him into the ride, lock down the, the uh, protection bar on the ride, and they send it into the opening on the wall. He's like, stop. I, I want out of here. He's like, okay, I've been on this ride before. You're not, you're not going to scare me. He's like, what is this? And it opens up, and inside, it's all dark. We don't necessarily see anything, but he's responding to it like it's something he's never seen before. And he's like, what the what the hell is this? And he just starts screaming, and we see the door close behind him. From there, we cut to outside of this crazy castle-looking thing. And uh, we see Sam Hain walk in the front door, and he walks to the elevators. And on the elevators, these two bloody handprints. And, of course, all the numbers are bloody. 
And he gets in the elevator and rides up to the 13th floor. He's like, he walks in the front door and he says, he walks whenever the door is to this room and he says, uh, what are you listening to, dad? And, uh, his father's sitting at this fireplace with all these crazy demon sculptures and things around him. He's like, right of the spirit, the spirit of your mother. It was your mother's favorite. And he's like, why is Halloween here? He's like, well, I had hoped to talk to you before your sister got here, but he's, but what? She knew. She, you knew she could, she could mess with me. That's why she came early. You can't trust her, dad. He's like, the last round of lawsuits, the, the settlements alone really hurt us. And, uh, we see the back of the chair in his hand. He says, ah, but we, 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 sur- we survive as we always do. Both of my children are lost. I'd hoped together you could help each other. The family that scares together stays together. And, uh, we cut back to Sam Haney's like, listen, I've got lots of ideas to try to fix this problem. We don't need her. We don't need her at all. And he's like, I fired Nick today. With firing Nick, that'll be able to pay for at least 30 jobs. But we gotta figure out a way to save some money. And, uh, as he goes over that a little bit more, he's like, I, I just don't know. I gotta find a place to come up with new ideas. I gotta new- get a new headspace. And he's like, truth be told, dad, we need a new ride. We need something sc- really scary. And Helen Wing certainly knows how to make a scene, but she doesn't know anything about being scary. He's, but if you, but if you made a new ride, it's been years. And, uh, we see the, the father's voice sort of twist a little bit, and he's like, Sam, 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 my son, you have nothing to fear. And we see this crazy, creepy smile, and we see the mustache, so we know it's Arthur. And from there we cut to a scene of what is Owen being torn apart on this ride with a bunch of demons around him pulling his flesh off his body and he's like i've recently been inspired and we see a drawing of that same thing on a workbench that's right next to the fireplace and uh that's where the first book cuts off um so i mean it's crazy uh there is a kind of cool thing that if you go a couple more pages there's a, a, a spread of the park again it has all the uh attractions and like they're numbered like a, a Disneyland map. So you can see all the different places that they're supposed to be, like where the clown carnage is and the death dive. And Anyway, so it points out all the different things from the previous two-page spread, so you can see what all the different attractions are and what their names are. And they have a tiny little write-up about each of them, which is kind of neat. Um, I don't know. As far as the book, I mean, it. I, I was pretty entertained by it. Um, I liked the art a lot. I mean, I God, I give it a four and a half. Like, it was pretty fun. It's pretty messed up. The characters are interesting, but like how much either the kids really know and how messed up Arthur really is. I mean, it clearly he's messed up, but like whether the kids know that or not, Sam Hain and Halloween, it's hard to say. And I kind of wonder like, is this the end? Is this Owen dead? Like, is he dead dead? I mean, it looks pretty messy. So, uh, uh, bad news for the kid if he is. And like the real question about the second part of that is like the body's, Clearly, whatever it is that is uh, connected itself to Arthur may also be after Owen because it's the same voice. Like the way they do the depiction of it, it's the same voice from the ground whenever Arthur makes his deal. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. As far as like a a fun, spooky, I mean, it's good because it's Halloween time too. I mean, it's October, so perfect timing. Um, but yeah, I give it a four and a half. I liked it a lot. It was pretty fun. Um, I think Josh is a great writer. Like the dude's done a lot of other stuff I like a lot. So. Should be pretty neat. Um, 45, what do you know about the, uh, the, uh, dark ride? It's a cool premise. Um, give it a three and a half. 
Um, you have to see where it goes. Like, I, I mean, if if the kid's dead, like really dead, then I then it's ir- irritating because he seems like the main character through the whole thing. Right. Well, that's the real question: is what, what next year two is going to have in it? Like, because it's pretty messy. But is it messy real or is it messy not real? You know what I mean? Well, obviously, like a demon, like is running things or demons or right. something. The devil. I don't know who knows, but I mean, it's, it's, uh, I liked how the flashback was in black and white and then it, you know, flash record, like the idea of like the son's and daughter's names or, you know, I mean, there, there's cool things to it. Like it, it's pretty good. Michael's I have to see where it goes. I like the idea of it. I kind of wonder if we're getting any more of, if Owen is not dead, if we're going to get more of like what the real thing happened with his parents, because it looks like they were trapped at sea and, the mom and dad must have drowned or something because the boat originally shows four and then the close-up shows two. So, like, that part of the backstory is also something that's kind of, like, crazy. I mean, it's a tiny thing, but it's... it's it, The way they told it with the two panels is pretty... Like, it's kind of creepy. Yeah. But yeah, the thing... Something else is cool about this book. So, it's already gone the second print. Um, so, book-wise, if you missed it the first time around... The second prints are going to be coming out, I think, next month. So uh, you'll be able to get it bef- around the same time number two comes out. And like all this stuff, the stuff Josh has done through him, has been stuff that's been popular. I mean, Nellbiter had a, two different runs. Uh, Birthright ran almost fifty issues. So like all good stuff, and I mean popular. So I, I I think this thing will be the same way. The real question is like what issue two gives us. So I mean, depending on that. I guess we'll see where it sits. The first issue is pretty good. Had at least three covers that were normal covers, A, B, and C. And the second printing is a recoloring of the cover A. So it's the kid on the ride with all the fire, except now it's a green tint instead of red. But it looks pretty cool. So I don't know, I'm pretty stoked for that. Got anything else about the, uh, the dark ride? No, it was pretty good. I mean... It's a good, good Halloweenish book, right? Right. Well, see, after all that, um, we got the interview with uh, Joe Benitez. This is from uh, again the uh, Denver Fan Experience 2022. Um, so I'll run that for you guys. We'll be back here in just a minute. Hey guys, this is Steve with Top 5 Comics Podcast here at Denver Fan Experience 2022, and I am here with... Joe Benitez. And Joe, I mean, you've been doing this for a minute, buddy. How'd you get into doing comic books? I got into it in 93. Well, I always liked comics, but in 93 I went to a uh, Senyo Comic Con, showed my work, uh, showed it to a bunch of publishers, and uh, Mark Silvestri owner of Top Cow, uh, actually Dave Wool, who was editor of Top Cow, he liked my work, showed it to Mark, Mark liked my work, and, you know, hired me there, and uh, been working in the industry ever since. We actually have Dave, Dave actually was on episode three of this show, way back, like, almost nine years ago, so, yeah, friend with Dave. What happened with Aspen Comics? Uh, I was late, I was like, uh, it took me... I think of over a year. I was having some issues back then. I couldn't uh, get the work out. And it's like they were getting uh, 
people were attacking them because they they're like, hey, you know, it's like, hey, where's the book and all this, and they were getting ready to do a uh, the 10th anniversary of Aspen, and uh, I was just like, you know what, um, you guys take care of that. I I'm I got to take care of my stuff on this side. So we just kind of you know went our separate ways. That way, it's like I can focus on whatever I was doing. They focus on theirs, and there's no negative uh, reaction from people. You know, I was like, hey, if, if people are having issues, send them over my way. You know, because it's like uh, it wasn't their fault that I wasn't uh, getting the work done. Sure. Well, you need to keep things balanced, and things in life happen, man. So it's it's fantastic that everything get back around. Now you're over it. Over at Image again with it? Yeah. Yeah, we went, uh, did the publishing, self-publishing for the, what, last six years. Image approached us about uh, taking Lady Mechanic out through them. And we've been actually thinking about uh, Image. We've been wanting to get uh, a little bit of a higher um, profile. Um, there's some retailers that, for whatever reason, didn't... Uh, order our books. They usually focus on image, uh, not image. Uh, well, yeah, image as well. But um, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, the, the big boys. And, Tell me, they won't, they just won't go far enough in the catalog to see your stuff. Exactly. Yeah, and but we've also had a weird thing where it's like fans would say that they would actually ask the retailers to order our book, and they wouldn't. Uh, I, I didn't understand that. Maybe you know, for whatever reason, they just didn't want that money so it's like uh so now we're hoping that with your image the retailers feel a little bit more confident in ordering our book you know so sure, it's possibly went around at the beginning of the ride anyway and as far as the thing being a store also i mean i know we carried it automatically because we carried it from the beginning and loved it right. so like it's fantastic and like being that being that friends with dave like as far as the thing, like he's always like, "Hey, this new person's coming out." I mean, now he's working for a game company, so it's all different. But right. as far as things are concerned, yeah, great guy. And as far as work, I mean, everything you've done is fantastic, my, my man. Right. Is in a, in the scheme of comic book stuff, what do you look at and say, "I like that"? Do you have anybody you like to follow? Uh, a lot of it is artists, you know. Just, I mean, there's guys that just, you know, have a, a look that's. Uh, really attractive you know and, I mean uh, again I'm the old standards it's like Todd Jim you know Wills Mark uh, I love uh, Michael Golden Arthur Adams there's a lot you know but uh, from the new guys uh, or relatively new guys uh, I'm digging what what it's Simone or uh, De Simone yeah uh, Sean Murphy he's, he's doing some really great stuff um, again, it's just basically whatever uh, comes across that just attracts you, you know, like... Catches people's eye. Exactly. So with uh, Lady Mechanica, why do you think... So so many people have glammed onto this. Like, Steampunk, when you started this book, wasn't like... Now it's like this giant thing. When you started this, it was like the edge of that, man. Like, you were sort of in front of it. Uh, I don't... Well, the thing is, uh, the reason I even started Mechanica was because of the steampunk cosplayers yeah. I don't know if it's cosplayers but the steampunk community it's a I saw them at Dragon Con it's you see them and you always think of them as you know kind of like background noise you you know you, you see the you know anime people you see the Klingons you see the stormtroopers you see the steampunkers you know you see the World of Warcraft 
so you just don't pay much attention they're just there but at dragon con i kind of took notice and uh i was like that's a very interesting look and no one's actually doing that uh so i put that in the back burner then i did megacon and again i saw a big contingency of steampunk community and i was like okay maybe i should do that it's uh, that seems like an interesting uh, uh look and i feel that there's a lot of stuff to do a lot of stuff uh, that's that you could potentially do in that world a lot so, of material to mine for right yeah. right the thing is again it's like when we do uh, our books when we do our stories steampunk is the last thing we think about it's like it's kind of like we do the story and then we um, alter elements to fit into a steampunk world and i think it's like that's it's kind of like with star wars it, star wars just happens to take place in a galaxy far far away right. but it's like and but the reality it's it's about a boy you know growing up to be a jedi or you know as far as and then you get into the other world i mean the uh all the other characters outside sure. of that well like hero's journey yeah right but uh i mean with mechanica it's like steampunk just happens to be where she lives but it's not right. the core of it it just yeah. happens to be an interesting locale for her to do her thing. Really cool backdrop for a story. This just the background. Exactly, yeah. That's awesome. That's great, man. What is your go-to karaoke song? Uh, Roadhouse Blues by The Doors. Oh, man. The shirt matches. I'm telling you people, he's wearing Doors shirt. It's fantastic. All right. So if you're stranded on a deserted island and you only take five items with you, what five items would you take? I don't know, man. A gun and two bullets. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Items could also be people. Uh, no, no, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'll come back to that. All right. So if you lived in Fantasyland, would you ride a chocolate pony? Sure. <laughs> yeah? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> would you all want to thank you again for taking time to talk with us. Obviously, love your book at the shop and at the show. Thanks a lot, man. All right, man. Good to see you. Right on. I just want to thank Joe again for taking time to, to sit and talk with me a little bit that day. Um, we, Me and him have talked before. We talked to San Diego a couple years ago, and uh, it was neat to reminisce about him and Dave and like his coming up in the world. And Dave, for a long-time friend of the show, I mean... During the interview, I mentioned it, but if you if you go back to episode three, Dave was actually on episode three of the show, so way back at the beginning of this thing. Um, another great dude. Um, but yeah, as far as the artist, if you haven't ever checked out Lady Mechanica, I know we've talked about it on this show multiple times. Um, maybe not recently, but it, it goes through waves of uh, miniseries. So right now we're on volume seven. Uh, they've all been re-released through Image. They have the new Image branding on them, but... As far as stories and books, if you like steampunk stuff at all, it's great. And art, you can't beat it. I mean, Benita's is so, 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 so good. Uh, if nothing else, just Google Lady Mechanica or Google Joe Benita's and look at his art because he's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, fun dude. Um, so after that, uh, what'd you learn today, Josh? You spend too much time on the internet. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Not really. That was over time, the YouTube stuff with Jar Jar Binks. I just feel like he's... Oh, see, you, you knew exactly what I was talking about. Well, yeah. That's why I learned that today. Oh, whatever, man. 
talking about too much time on the internet, Mr. Reading Articles. <laughs> uh, so what I learned today, Josh? Um, I don't know. It's a hard thing to ask me. It's different when T. Brown's here because like, when you ask just me, I just don't feel like you learn much of anything. Oh, my God, man. It's because I already know everything, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's true. You're right about that. I learned that you know that I'm right. That's a good thing to learn. Well, you learned that you think you're always right. No, I mean, I, I know I'm right, so that might be something you learn, though, that I think I'm always right. Most of the time, I am. Most of the time. Regardless of me being right or not, um, you got any action figure news over there, Josh? So, and all the crazy hoopla and raising of prices and all, all the different stuff, like uh, one cool thing that uh, I just wanted to mention, um, Haya Toys, H-Y-A, H-I-Y-A, Haya Toys, they're the ones that do all like the, they do quite a few, but they do like the four-inch alien figures and the predator figures and some like quite a few other ones, um, Robocop. But like the four inch, they did the some of the injustice ones, like the second wave, not that first wave, but the second one. Okay, the three and three quarters ones. So they're the four inch. They're actually four inches. Oh, okay. So like, cause the the original ones were like a true three and a half, three and three quarters. So they're a little bit small. They didn't fit with like the actual GI Joes or right. any of those size. But the newer ones do, I guess. But like, so anyway. Um, I don't know what's going on and why Hasbro is allowing things to happen, but they're letting other companies make G.I. Joe's in different formats, like just kind of like the Super 7 has done some stuff. But Haya is putting out a Storm Shadow figure that looks like the um, the initial artwork for Storm Shadow when they first started the, um, the new 6-inch line. Oh, that's cool. So he's got like the um, the armor. On his like wrists yeah. and face and mask and stuff, um, but it's going to be a four inch figure, so it's but it's a storm shadow. It looks really really cool. Um, the only difference is like in the uh, concept art, he has a one of his arms has a, tattoos on it, right? But this figure won't have that. But other than that, it's almost exactly the same. So well, that's cool. I mean, a lot of people wanted that figure, but then like a lot of people wanted it, but then a lot a lot of people also wanted just like the vintage look to all the characters. They pretty much are just making the vintage characters now at this point on the right. on the classified line. So, well, they did the couple of their reimaginings, but they did, they were ones they shouldn't have done. They should have done that figure instead of the other roadblock, like choice wise. They've done three road different roadblocks. Now. Yeah, I know. It's the, the Island Assault one is the most different of the group, but it's really technically heavy duty. It should have been heavy duty. If they would have named it heavy duty, it would have been a totally different thing, but they didn't. So, yeah. Anyway. So anyway, that's just that's the one little thing I have. So that's cool. Yeah, I, we've got a couple of those uh, the predators in the store at one point. They're gone now. We we had them for a little bit, and they they fit really good actually. Yeah, they're the pretty cool figures. Yeah. They're they're pretty they're pretty detailed for being what they are. Um, there's still a few of those available, but when it comes to stuff that we can still get, the only thing we can still get is the battle damage one without his arm. So, because I thought about getting it the other day, and that's how I know it's available. But I didn't want one with a broken arm. Well, it's not broken. It's the one after his arm's cut off by I think movie two is what it's supposed to be from. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, got any books to watch over there, Josh? Um, I don't know. Okay. Uh, well, as far as uh, things are getting ready to come out, I mean, if you're a Jeff Johns fan, like I was saying earlier in the episode, uh, he's going to be writing J- JSA, 
which should be good stuff because the dude's done that before and he's good. Um, he's got a Stargirl miniseries happening also, and if depending on what you know about Stargirl, that's a character that uh, that he came up with. It's a legacy character, and uh, her look and design is based off his uh, sister who passed away. So it's a pretty cool that he's going back to do that character again. I think that's neat. Um, so I'd, I'd say both those are worth watching for. I mean, I mentioned it last week, I think. The uh, Joker-Batman-Deadly duo. More art came out for it, and it just looks fantastic. So that's the Mark Silvestri book. Uh, if you were a Batman Spawn fan, and you like the idea of that crossover, they are doing a third one of those. They've dropped almost all the covers now. Now, a bunch of the incentives you still can't see, and of course they haven't revealed the Jim Lee, and they haven't revealed the Tom McFarlane covers yet, so... When it comes to picking covers, um, I want to say cutoff for order is on the eighteenth or the twentieth, so like here in a, less than a week. So if you're going to pick a cover, you probably want to get a hold of your uh, your uh, comic book uh, retailer while well, you can still do that. Um, but yeah, there's a whole slew of them. There's one by uh, um, well, there's two by Greg Capullo that are reverses, like the A cover and the B cover. One's got Batman being Spawn, the other one's got Spawn being Batman. So they're just they're mirror images. Uh, then there's a Sean Murphy cover. There's a J. Scott Campbell cover. Um, there's going to be a Jim Lee cover. Again, we haven't been given that picture yet. There's a pretty cool Glow in the Dark, Todd McFarlane and Greg Capullo duo cover. It's got Glow in the Dark features on it, so that's pretty cool. Uh, there's an acetate cover, so it's going to have like a, a mylar top that comes off and the, to see the full picture underneath, so that should be neat whenever... The art for it looks cool, but as far as which part moves, I have no idea because I don't show it that way, so... That's unfortunate. Uh, but yeah, there's a slew of covers, and they all look cool. So if you want to be about that, you should probably get on it. Um, outside of that, uh, I mean, there's a few other things that were really neat, but I don't, I can't remember what I was thinking about. So, you know, you got anything else over there, 45? I don't, man. All right. Uh, well, it's a key. No. Oh, come on, man. There is a Kamen Rider book coming out. I told you that. I think I said that last week, too. Titan Comics is making Kamen Rider. Should be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>